Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 89, death on the road and going nowhere. All that and a whole bunch more coming up today. Before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people that have really helped the show incredibly the past month with support of $50 or more. And just before I do that, I want to say, you know, thank you to everyone who has ever supported Adventure Rider Radio and Raw. It's really big for us when we get people who support the show. It just says so much when someone listens to the show and sees some value in it and then steps up to support because both of the shows that we do are extremely popular, very, very high downloads, but there's a very, very small percentage of people who actually support the show. And for those people, I say thank you so much because you're really making it possible for everybody else that listens that doesn't support. So thank you, supporters. You are amazing. No matter how much you've supported, no matter when you've supported, I want to say thank you. For this month, this past month, with support of $50 or more, Larry Rego, Gary Durfee, Shane Gildness. Now, Mark and Lee, I'm going to pronounce your last name, and you're going to have to get back to me if I've messed this up, okay? So let me know on this one. Mark and Lee Vilkerists. That was my shot. Uh, and you let me know if I've done that right. James Gallagher, Fritz from DT Rustproofing, and John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. Thank you all so much. If you're interested in supporting the show, and we really hope that you are, go to our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout-out like you just heard me do. Anything $10 or more gets you Adventure Rider Radio stickers. Just drop by and have a look. I, I would really appreciate it if you just do that and make a decision there. Now, just in case Raw is a new discovery for you and you don't know about Adventure Rider Radio, we do Adventure Rider Radio every week. That's our flagship show. It comes out every single week. So drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com, and have a look. This episode is brought to you by Fresh Tracks. Fresh Tracks provides team building programs for companies and groups. And Cass and Moses, a law firm representing injured bikers for over 30 years. And now here we go Adventure Rider Radio Raw for June 2023. go Good. recorded live from the canoe s media studio deep in the wild forests of north america this is adventure rider radio raw roundtable discussions about motorcycles travel and anything else that crosses our mind completely unscripted raw and personal my name is jim martin and today the virtual roundtable afforded through the real magic of the internet i'm joined by my esteemed regular overland co-host i'm going to kick it off with sam manicom and sam is not in the uk hello sam Hello, everybody. Um, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm on the road in the USA, and it's just brilliant to be back here. I, I'm sorry. Um, I, was, I was looking for Sam. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't sound like <laughs> Sam right now. <laughs> um, no, I'm a, a bit splattery at the moment. You could do voiceover work with this. What? Well, because my voice is now deep, deep. Your voice and is very throat. deep, and yes, and, and you, you even have a different mm. tone. Sorry, Sam. No, it's all right. You, you may take the mickey all you like. Fortunately, I'm, I'm really sick, so this is just going straight over the top of my head. Mm. Right, and where are you? <laughs> um, I'm in um, Monroe, Virginia, and I've just been at the, um, the MOA National uh, just near Richmond, which was huge fun. Um, it was incredible. It was just smiley faces all of the time and lots of good people and so much going on. I gather they're going to do it in um, Oregon next year. So 
I may see if I can get there for that. But, wow. uh, yeah, no, it was, it was brilliant fun. Sounds like you are having a great time, despite the other things that we'll talk about afterwards. Shirley Hardy Ricks mm. and Brian Ricks are wide awake first thing in the morning in Australia. Good morning to the both of you. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'd like to tell you what kind of day it is here, nice. but I can't because it's still dark. <laughs> <laughs> just I'll just hope saying. for the best. <laughs> it's winter, it's wet. It's funny you should say that, Shirley, because one of the feedbacks that I was getting from people um, at MOA was that they actually kind of like the little weather forecasts that we're all doing um, <laughs> because it just brings in the sense of how far apart we all are, yet how together. Oh, nice. Mm. Ah. That's a very good point. Well, we'll have to pick up on that weather forecast later on when you guys get some sunlight. <laughs> Brian, um, do, do you want to talk about what you're wearing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, well, I, I put on a t- I found a T-shirt at the bottom of a pile of thousands of T-shirts, which I, I have, which has got RCMP, world's largest street gang on it. And um, this T-shirt, I was... I was wearing it one day and I blasted past some uh, 1% of motorcycles on a very deserted road and there's only one place you can stop for fuel. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I should just have a splash and dash and keep going with this T-shirt on. (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't know what RCMP is. It's uh, Royal Canadian Added Police. Right. It's the... It's the national sort of police force in Canada. That's an interesting one. Interesting shirt, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle Lamphere in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Hello, Michelle. Hello, everybody. And I'm very glad that that turned out better than I expected. If you were going to start a phone call asking what people are wearing, it was going to go south really quickly. So, (laughs) (laughs) As the words came out, I could hear what it sounded like. And I just... Yeah, crickets. It's a little awkward, but thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm here in the Black Hills. It's a beautiful day in uh, Custer, South Dakota. Almost summer. What are we, uh, eight, nine days away from summer in the Northern Hemisphere, which I'm excited about. And we've had uh, a lot of rain, which is helping the forest fire risk level to go down. So, yeah. And there's lots of mud around that I think I've seen tons of motorcycles going, uh, you know, around the area and, and up the roads in every direction. And lots of them have been playing in the mud from the looks of it. Lots of dirt bikes out this year. Mm, nice. And are you yeah. open for business now? Yes, I've been open just over a month, actually. Oh, wow. So the Chalet Motel is is up and running for the season. You are running <laughs> around like a chicken with your head cut off. Yeah. Yes, very, very much so. And I have had, um, as Sam had experienced at MOA, mine's obviously a different experience, but I've had actually already probably six or eight motorcyclists stop by, fans of the show, um, stopping in to say hello and pass on their well wishes to all of you. So oh, thank you to great. all of our listeners yeah. for doing that. Yeah, it means a lot. And I wanted to make sure yeah. that all of you know that. Oh, very nice. Well, let's bring in Grant Johnson. Grant is in British Columbia. Hello, Grant. Hello, everybody. It's uh, We had 30 degrees yesterday Celsius, which was absolutely spectacular. It was beautiful. But we have forest fire issues in the north. And today it's 20 degrees and predicted rain. So we are very, very hopeful we're going to be getting a whole lot of rain to cut down on the forest fires in the near future. Mm. It does make a bit of a mess for riding. But hey, if there's no smoke, that's good. We'll take it. 
Yeah, no, I know. And it's the same thing here. We're over in Ontario, you know, in the east of Canada. And there, boy, there were some days there where the smoke was so thick. They were telling you to don't go outside. As a matter of fact, there's a scale of one to 10, one being the cleanest air, 10 being the worst. They said it was off the charts. It was yeah. above the scale. Their scale doesn't, doesn't measure it. It was that bad. And wow. when you go outside, there was no sun. You could just see the, the orange haze at times. Other times it was just like a cloudy day, but the smoke was just into your lungs. Like I went out for a few minutes and found myself coughing. Cause, and at first I thought when I was heading out, I was thinking, how bad can it be? You know, like, <laughs> you know, I've been around campfires my whole life. How bad can it be? And it wasn't, oh, 15 minutes, I guess. And all of a sudden I started coughing and then I kept coughing and kept coughing. I thought, wow, this is crazy. So, um, yep. They, when they say stay inside, they mean it. It yeah. gets bad. Yeah. 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 We've got friends who are visiting over there who are trying to take photos for a, um, uh, a, a book they're doing. And of course, uh, Lake Louise couldn't get a photo because it's just crowded in, in, um, in, uh, in smoke. smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Very bad. And the Icefields Parkway. They couldn't yeah, see the Icefields. Couldn't see, couldn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's Bad. crazy. It made me think of you guys in Australia who who have dealt with something much worse than than what we're dealing with. I think now, but um, this is just the start of the season, yeah. you know. It's and, yeah, and it's not yeah. bad. And a shout out, shout out to all the firefighters. We sent firefighters over there to help you guys. Oh, that's and you, right. Yeah. And you send people out to us during our fire season. So they're fantastic yeah. people and very very skilled at what they do. Yeah, it's quite the thing they've got with with trading people back and forth to help. I mean, in New Zealand and Australia and, and the U.S. and different provinces. I mean, they're going all over the place. It's a, yeah. quite, um, quite the yeah. connection they have. I even saw a bunch of the guys were flown in from South Africa. Mm. Oh, that's yeah. right. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're out of fire season. Oh, Thank goodness. Good. Yeah. We yeah. even had the smoke as far down as um, Monroe in um, Virginia. But, you know, nothing like as bad as what you've got. But we were gobsmacked to see that you could actually, um, yeah, made a massive difference to the, to the light. Um, yeah. So sorry for all of the people that are struggling from it and the yeah. after effects of the fires and so on. No, we've, we've got some rain, so things have cooled down here. As a matter of fact, they took the fire ban off. We've had several days of rain, cool weather. So um, things are looking up here. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good. You're, you're, does that mean you're able to cook again, mate? <laughs> you mean over my open fire? Yes, it is. And, and it's it's nice because like with the cave that we live in, we don't have any doors we can close, right? So the air is really cleaned up here. You know what it's like in Canada. <laughs> so the, the first segment we're doing today on Raw is called Death on the Road. Now that may sound like a little bit of hyperbole, but it's not. Anyone, any kind of traveling obviously has its own risk attached, but obviously motorcycle increases the risk, right? When you're traveling by motorcycle, I, I think we would all agree with that. But being prepared, having a plan, understanding what can happen and how it can affect you is all part of, I would say, your due diligence that if you, you do it thoroughly could maybe mitigate the risk. It's obvious that the more you understand about potential problems before you have to deal with one, the better equipped you are, I think, to to handle, uh, to deal with them if they happen to step into your path. Or maybe you could even avoid them learning some of the of the, the knowledge from those who've gone before you. And that's um, obviously what we're focused on today, this conversation, Death on the Road, it's all about. And it's interesting that Sam Manicom actually went and got sick just for this segment. And Sam, I really have to thank you for that because, you know, I'm just so impressed with your dedication to what we do here. To, well, it's to important. Well, I'm curious how you did it. Like, wh- how do you find sickness? And, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I think that um, I shook a lot of hands. You know, I'm advocating always that we should shake hands and smile. 
I think I probably shook one too many hands. <laughs> Simple as that. Right. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh at you, Sam. I've done that several times now. But no, it's perfectly okay. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy to be the butt of everybody's jokes. It's perfectly well, it, right. it is funny. We're, our, our topic is is death on the road. It's, it's things that make you sick, hurt you, or maybe even kill you on the road. And, and you go and get sick and you are on the road. You are traveling. I mean, you are what we're talking about today. That's, and I'm traveling in a developed, I'm traveling in a developed world country. So that's even more ironic, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Obviously, what we're talking about won't be comprehensive. We're not going to cover everything that a traveler will deal with. Uh, but we're going to talk about the things that you guys have heard of, dealt with maybe in your own experience, um, things that um, that we know of to be common. We'll, we'll discuss some of those. I was wondering if we should break this into categories, because let me just run this past you guys and tell me what you think. I'm thinking that if you broke it into some categories, it might sort of keep us on track a little bit. We've got, I, I'm, I've just got here riding, eating and drinking, sleeping, environmental, which could be insects, animals, weather, geographic anomalies, swimming, maybe separate, I'm not sure, lifestyle differences, which could be laws, customs, religion, things like that. And then I was thinking safety, maybe things like where building codes might be different. I'm thinking of suicide showers or bridges, crowds, how they handle those type of things and some do's and don'ts. What, what do you guys think about that? I've just decided to sell my passport. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is this a money-making thing or preventative? I think it's preventative. I didn't know so many things could go wrong, and I've never thought about suicide showers, even though I have taken some. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's a positive one for us, isn't it, Sean? It's one of those things where you start to analyze something, you think, that's disgusting. I know. <laughs> I can't believe that. Yeah, Susan was looking through all the possible diseases you could get in Africa. No, oh, no. my Lord. No, Why would you go yet. there? No. Yeah. I know. It's like you find the things swimming in water that you think is fresh water. <laughs> yeah. Just how much is swimming in there and just how much of it could possibly make you sick. It's kind of scary. It's a bit of a put off, really. Yep. At the same time, how may, how often does it happen? It's yeah. so rare. It's true. And at the same well, time, I've had so many vaccines now and preventative medicines that I kind of wonder about that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should yeah. see my vaccine record. It's like three pages. But you should be able to take anything now, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. I can pet rabid yeah. dogs. I'm good to go. Yeah. get bitten by monkeys rabid monkeys yeah i'm good do you guys want to tackle this this way and go with go with you know riding and eating and drinking or did you have a different thing in mind Uh, well before we started uh, when when you brought this topic up i we were actually looking at our wheels and and when we went and did our first trip (laughs) um we uh actually prepared a document for um, our family if something really, really, really bad went wrong. And I don't know whether I should read no, it. No, you don't. I don't want you to read it. You don't it. want me to read no. it out. Oh, well, that was interesting because, Brian, we, we talked about this beforehand. Yeah. And I thought that was what you were going to do, but that's okay. No, I don't want, I don't want you to read it if Shirley doesn't want you to. But maybe you could... Um, Maybe you could paraphrase things a little bit, the sort of thing, not what you did, not what you said, but the sort of things you might have thought of to cover. Yeah, well, we, we thought about, well, what if we get, get killed in a, in a remote location? And we, we, we left this letter with uh, a dear friend of ours who was given strict instructions that it was, this is how it was uh, to be. Uh, don't waste money bloody bringing bodies back, you know, cremate us and bring us back that way if you want to. And uh, things like the songs we wanted um, uh, sung at our, or, or played at our funeral, 
um, or memorial service uh, where we wanted to be um, buried or our ashes scattered, the reasons why we were doing what we were doing, what we loved. So, you know, don't cry for us, basically. And um, little things like that. And I think it's worthwhile thinking about. Um, we put it all together and um, I, I, I thought it was uh, a good thing to do. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it all came about a mate of mine was killed on a mountain, uh, climbing a mountain that he, he loved to do and uh, he died up there. And that was uh, about a week before we were to leave to go on our first trip overseas. So it got us thinking about it. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I really think you should um, consider that even before you go. You don't want to leave your, your loved ones with um, all these questions and queries. If you can make it clear for them, I think that's a really good thing to do. You, you said in that, Brian, you said that just a, you sort of briefly mentioned it there. You said you, you talked about why you do the things you do. That, that's kind of an important part of what you did there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. My word. My word. You don't want to. We had people, uh, particularly family members, you know, who were worried about it. So, oh, you won't come back. You, you, you're going to die overseas. Well, yeah, well, if we do, we do. And this is what we want you to do, just to make it easy for everybody. And, um, yeah. And you get the point across that the, you sort of make, like you said, you, you don't feel sorry for us sort of thing because, you know, you, you took the risk and it didn't work out. It's, it, I think it could, it could sort of change the way somebody feels about a tragedy like that afterwards. If they look at that and read in your own words, okay, I, I think I, I mean, maybe I don't agree with it, but I can, I can sort of understand where they, where they were coming from and why they did what they did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more on the subject, there's a, there's a guy who's in the Isle of Man right now or just leaving the Isle of Man because everything's finished who was travelling with his wife on his motorcycle in uh, South Africa and they had a terrible accident and she died and he ended up a paraplegic and he was uh, eventually made his way back to Australia. He's back riding on a Harley Davidson with a modified sidecar and a very good mate of mine, Dave Milligan, who ships bikes around the world. You might have heard me talk about him before. Dave's made sure he's put his uh, Harley with his sidecar in a ship, got it over to England, um, and he's escorted uh, Bob all the way over to the Isle of Man, and he's been having an absolute ball riding around the Isle of Man, drinking beer with boys over there, engaging with all the lovely girls and people on the Isle of Man, and he's on his way home. But, you know, don't give up. That's that's the message, you know. And um, Bob is um, just a, one of those special blokes who's in his 70s, He's, he's had disaster in his life from riding, uh, living his dream, and here he is out there still doing it. So Good for him. Yeah. Yes. Sorry if that's a bit of a downer, but, you know. I was, I was just thinking, we, we don't want to make this too much of a downer off the start, so, <laughs> so I even <laughs> changed the order. No, 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 it's okay. I, I think it, I'd even just change the order of what we should talk about. I think we should talk about eating and drinking first. <laughs> we, what is so funny about that? we all yes. love eating and drinking let's go for no, it not eating and drinking but the problems that can go wrong those are funny too that's a that's a category right eating and yeah. drinking so I've, so let's I've let's tackle that i've got a mantra mate um drink beer beer is brewed everything gets killed in it so it's 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 fine for you drink keeps of beer better for you than water yeah yes <laughs> Okay, that's that's your excuse right there. Okay. <laughs> These Australians, I mean, they just don't understand the value of a nice cup of tea. Correct. <laughs> <laughs>
Is everything <laughs> dead in tea, Sam? Oh, by the time I finished with it, it certainly is. You can stand a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that Birgit and I do when we um, find somewhere to, to stay for the night, um, the first thing we do is put the kettle on, make a cup of tea, and we give it a good old boil. And then while we're unpacking and um, sorting out what's what, then we've just got the billy on again for the next lot and then the next lot. So that when we leave in the morning, um, we've got plenty of uh, well-boiled water for us to be knocking back. It's it's a simple routine. It just you just end up doing it. Um, so it kind of works. And boiling the water kills all the pathogens. Anything that's living in there, it doesn't do anything for chemicals, but it certainly kills anything living in there that will will give you some of what you're feeling now, Sam. And that's a good point because um, quite often people get stomach upsets just purely and simply because the water changes or the chemical changes in the water. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly healthy, but our stomachs just aren't used to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a very good point. There's a lot of things that can upset your stomach, isn't there? Like, like small things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were in uh, Guatemala. We were talking to this Guatemalan who had been educated in New York. He went, uh, I think he was 18 or 19 or something. He went to New York, went to university. And he says when he got to New York, the first thing he did was get sick. And he just had terrible time with the water. He had to purify the water and it was still getting sick from it. And eventually he, he adapted to it and was okay. Then he went back to Guatemala, and guess what? He got sick again mm-hmm. with water. <clears throat> and it turned out in the end, he had to drink bottled water. He couldn't drink the, the local water as he did growing up. So changes of water, wow. yeah. Yeah, I guess it has to do with the the things that you that live in your gut, right, that are used yes. to dealing with whatever it is you're eating. And that's why you go to a country and everybody's fine, but you get sick because your gut doesn't have the right, I don't know the word for it, I don't know exactly what it is. Biome. But, Microbiome, okay. yeah. Thank yeah. you. So it doesn't have the, the proper microbiome to deal with whatever it is. But it's, it's not that it's necessarily harmful to humans uh, as such. Yeah. Just on your point, Sam, boiling water, it's not just bringing it to the boil. It's boiling it for a certain time, oh, yeah. isn't it, to kill for oh, yeah, definitely. Critical. The higher altitude you go, then the, the more you've got to boil it. Yeah. Yep. So water, obviously the first one, but water affects other things too, doesn't it? I mean, there's things that you got to be careful of, like ice cubes. What What are some of the other things you have to be, be careful of with water? Salad stuff washing. in restaurants. Yeah. yeah. Washed in the local water. Yeah, that'll do you in. Susan was so sick in Mexico from that. She said, oh, lovely a vegetable, a salad. I love a salad. So she had a salad and she was so sick. Yeah. It was It was really pitiful. I was okay because I didn't have the salad because I, I, my stomach, I will confess, is somewhat delicate. Even after all the traveling I've done, my stomach is delicate. And so I didn't take any chances, but she had to have that salad. Yeah. Far too same, long. same thing happened to me in Nepal. I, you know, they say they wash it in iodine and stuff like that, but I got sick as a dog from having a salad. Hadn't yeah. had um, the vegetables like that for ages and, uh, you know, you crave it. And mm-hmm. then, uh, boy... 24 hours later, well. You don't crave it anymore. No, no, no. no, no. (laughs) Your body's saying, get rid of this. (laughs) What I hate is when you're heading for the bathroom and you're not sure which end to put on where. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to throw in there about the ice cubes because I mentioned the ice cubes. But the thing is with ice cubes is that freezing water doesn't necessarily kill those living things that are in the water. Oh, no, not at all. A little interesting statistic. Well, at least I found it interesting. Um, I did some research, and apparently only 500,000 cases of food poisoning were reported annually to travel insurance companies. 
am only around 3,000 deaths out of that number. Yeah. Only? But if you think about how many people travel and so on and so on, so 500,000, that's not that much. Um, Most people won't even bother reporting it, though. That's it. Their own death? Get this. Most of those deaths are down to dehydration. And the point that I'm making is... If people don't know what to do when they get a bad stomach, that's when they're putting themselves at real risk. Got to hydrate all the time. Find some hydrolate. There'll be somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So hydrolate. There'll be somewhere selling something like it we, wherever you are in the world. We both said that individually, didn't we, yeah. Shirley? That yeah. you know, hydration is a big thing. And you can make your own. Um, mm-hmm. You go and get a um, something like um, Sprite or Seven Up, and um, mix that with some water. Put some sugar in. Put some salt in. And to just knock it back. Um, it can work really well. It's not as good as the as the professional stuff, but it was, still works very well. Mm-hmm. And I actually carry electrolyte tablets, and mm-hmm. I yeah. it's amazing how many of those I go through just staying rehydrated without dealing with illness. But traveling at altitude or in some heat that I'm just not used to, um, I really have to stay conscious about making sure I'm, I'm rehydrating and not just with water. It's it's helpful to have enhanced water. So electrolytes and exactly as Sam said, some sugar and salt component to it too, so that your body absorbs it better. Yeah. And Sam did say about rehydrating, like when, when you're sick and you have diarrhea in particular, that, that can be, you know, extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. So anytime you're, I mean, you, you put out water all the time, just on a daily basis, but anytime you're putting it excessive, you, you've really got to make that up. Yes. And today, because I've got, um, you know, shakes and stomach upset, all of the rest of it, what have I have drunk so far? I've probably drunk seven liters of fluid today. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I'm losing it, both yeah. from the heat of riding and because I suddenly get urgent moments <clears throat> moving rapidly on. Sam, thank you so much for coming on today. <laughs> I just, yeah. Honestly, I can't believe you're doing it the way you feel right now. My, my I, level I, of research is, is just, yeah. I can hear it in your voice. It's just, yeah, I, we all can. If you hear a thud at this end, that's my forehead hitting the table. <laughs> what yeah, hotel no, are you at? <laughs> we can call the management and tell them. Call them. <laughs> we, we'll just wait until you wake up again. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> You know, as riders, we tend to understand really well what AT-GAT is, you know, all the gear all the time. We understand what gear we're talking about when we say AT-GAT, helmet, proper riding jacket, riding boots, pants, gloves. You know, we understand that because it's our insurance in case something goes wrong. But what we don't often talk about, and and I think few will understand, is what our insurance coverage should be or what we should do if we are involved in a crash. Well, look at the website, CassandMoses.com. Cass and Moses is a law firm that's been representing motorcyclists for over 30 years. And they've got information on their website at CassandMoses.com about what you should do, what you need to know if you're involved in a crash. This is stuff you need to know in advance. They also have a free book to download called Standing Up for Bikers That Go Down. It talks about insurance. It's got stories from over 30 years of representing injured bikers. In fact, Cass and Moses says... If you have been hurt in a motorcycle accident, even if you don't think you have a case, you should call them. Their number is 1-800-MOTORCYCLE. Easy to remember, 1-800-MOTORCYCLE. 
Now, remember, Cass and Moses are motorcycle lawyers. They understand everything about a motorcycle crash because they've been doing it for 30 years. CassandMoses.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. CassandMoses.com. You know, we are so pleased to have the continued support of FreshTracks.co.uk. FreshTracks works with companies or groups to motivate, inspire, build communication skills through team building. And they've been doing it for many, many years with a host of programs to suit well, any company's requirements. The owner of Fresh Tracks is a motorcyclist, just like us, an avid adventure rider. Fresh Tracks works with companies like Mars, Pfizer, Comic Relief, and many more. Their website is freshtracks.co.uk. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. freshtracks.co.uk. And any other, any things that you can think of for eating and drinking that, that sort of caught you by surprise in any country? Does anyone have anything like that? Sometimes the local specialities that everyone raves about, they can be really dangerous to tummies that aren't used to the local specialities. Mm-hmm. You know, people tell you mm-hmm. when you get to this country, you must eat this particular kind of food. I don't know, fried cockroaches or something. Um, and, you know, think about it. Sometimes experiencing some of these things is just not worth the end result. I've got the perfect example of that, Shirley. Um, Durian. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Not only does this smell like a a nappy that's just been taken off a child, um, but my God, it it really played games with my stomach. Sides in hotels are telling you in um, Asian countries do not. Yeah. Uh, forbidden uh, ban. Forbidden ban. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are that you're not allowed reason. to get on. Yeah, absolutely. For, for good reason. The smell actually lingers in a room for yeah. weeks yeah. after <laughs> after the food yeah. is even <laughs> taken out of there. It just stinks. It's in the wallpaper and in the carpet. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. If, if, if you've never smelled it, you will know it when you hit it because it's the, <laughs> the worst I've ever smelled of anything ever anywhere. It's just staggeringly bad. So what's the good part about it? They say it tastes wonderful. Yeah, they do say it tastes wonderful. But, it, hey, hey, Michelle, that would be a great little curio sign for your motel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> There's the thought. There's a thought. I'd like that. No durian. has been eaten in this hotel. And everybody's going to ask you, what's durian? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for the reminder, Brian. I, I need to post those. I think it is important to try food in the different places when you're traveling. I mean, food is, it can, can be absolutely spectacular. Sometimes it doesn't look very nice. But you it need actually to think about it though, Sam, don't you? I mean, you, you can't just you really go... Do go, you know, head, headlong at it and think, yeah, we're going to try everything new. No. Um, and it's like that old rule, isn't it, Shirley, where um, you, you look for where there's lots of people queuing up to eat, especially yes. locals. Yes. Because, I mean, it's such a basic rule, isn't it? And if yeah, the person even, making the food looks healthy, that's a good sign too. If they don't look mm. well, avoid their food cut. Oh, yeah. yeah. But even then, um, Susan and I got caught in India that way. Um, we were at an event we'd been invited to and there's food vendors and it was looking great. And Susan went over to get some food and she said, oh, this stuff looked wonderful. I can't remember. I think it was pad thai, but I could be wrong. But it was that kind of idea, noodles and a bunch of stuff tossed on top of the noodles. 
we were so sick from that. And next day she went back and looked at it. You know, they're doing it in a great big giant walk, like a three foot across walk. And the noodles are just sitting there. And how hot is the water? I don't know. Is it hot enough? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, no. If she'd really looked, she said after, if she'd really looked, she would have said no. But she just, ooh, pad thai. Love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. Dug in. and Oh, man, it was bad. It's like when you treat yourself to um, a big buffet breakfast at a hotel or a big buffet Mm -hmm. dinner thinking, wow, this is going to be cheap. We can really eat a lot of food here. The stuff in the Bay Marie that's been sitting in tepid, you know, with tepid water underneath it, keeping it warm, that'll kill you. Yeah. I mean, that stuff can go off so quickly, you know, and and things that are half cooked, you know, half cooked chicken. Or you get um, someone who double dips with their germs all over a spoon. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we were in Nairobi and went to the local hamburger chain, which wasn't actually a local chain. It was actually a British chain. I won't say the name of it because it's seared in my brain and I never will go there again no matter where. <laughs> well, you're not going to hurt oh. him to say the name. <laughs> okay, it was a Wimpy's. <laughs> a Wimpy's. Huh? Might hurt Wimpy's. you though, Jim, when they sue, just oh. keeping that in mind. <laughs> yeah, just keep it in mind. You might want to blank blitz that out. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the chance. I mean, we were just, we were desperate for hamburger because it had been months. We've been all across North Africa and down to Nairobi. Oh, hamburger, right. British hamburger, wonderful. Oh, man, we were four days sick in bed. Fortunately, we had just landed that day, and we were in the Intercontinental Hotel in Nairobi, so a really good hotel, which is kind of the rule. Your first day in, you get a good hotel. Uh, Yeah, well, that was a good thing. We stayed a lot longer than we had planned, but wow, were we sick. That's the inconvenience of getting something crook like that where you're sick for four days. Yeah. Um, you really need to be somewhere comfortable. You need to be somewhere where if you're both ill, if you're travelling like you and Susan, Grant, or us, if you're both ill, that there's someone that you can call on to go and get you the lemonade that you can let go flat and get you bottles of water and, um, yeah. you know. It can All that stuff. Really, really stuff up your oh. holiday. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people I have said, if you're getting sick and, you know, like we hear about, oh, somebody's sick, Find a good hotel. Don't yeah. go to the cheapest local okay. hotel. If you're sick, you're feeling like crap. You want to be looked after. You want to feel safe. You want to have somebody who's like Shirley just said, able to bring you stuff. Maybe go and get the doctor if need be, instead of just yeah. oh, that's you know, the gringo's sick. Just stay away from them. You, you want somebody that's going to look after you properly. You know, a good quality hotel. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the way it should really be done for for tourism, it should be the people who make food should have to have accommodations that you stay at afterwards. And then the people coming in would get to see what the food's like just by the people afterwards, and they'd be responsible for you. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) When when I was cooking uh, Nepal, we ended up at Pokhara and staying in a little motel, and I was as crook as a dog. And uh, the the, um, manager of uh, of the motel, he said, Oh, I'll go and get my friend's car and we can take you to the hospital. They're just great people, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, you come across that. Meanwhile, Shirley went out to some oh, swank place. Enormous sympathy. I'd been invited by the Australian government to go to a a, a, a dinner. So he was asleep. He didn't know. I went off, had dinner, yeah, nice thanks. food, nice drink. Priorities. Priorities. I've got to say, just because one of you is sick, it doesn't need to ruin everyone's day. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's the joy of traveling with two people. You, you don't hey. get twice the chance of, of having a good time. Exactly. It does help. And it's nice yep. when one of you is healthy enough to go get supplies, as yeah. you've mentioned. Yes. Yeah, if yeah, if yeah. one of you, Critical. and I've had that happen a couple of times. I remember being in El Salvador and strangely enough with my travel partner at the time, sharing one plate of food with one piece of chicken, one scoop of rice and some salad. And we each, the two of us each ate some, some of all of it. So I had salad and rice and chicken as did my travel partner. And I was fine. And the very next day, my travel partner was bedridden for like two days. And so it it was Mm -hmm. just strange that it came from the same plate of food. So it, it tells you not only you know, is it kind of a, a random thing where that bacteria can be found, but also how your body reacts to it differently yeah. than maybe someone else's. So yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's just helpful if you can. I travel always with anti-diarrheal medication, anti-nausea medication, yeah. um, and a, a kind of a mini pharmacy, so to speak. Um, but also I carry antibiotics for traveler's diarrhea and I carry these um, rehydrating tablets or electrolyte tablets to add to water just to have enough to hopefully tide you over until hopefully you don't. But if you do need medical care, you've at least got something to slow down, um, you know, the, the immediacy of how much you're losing hydration. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, one of the tips there is to um, to go and see your doctor, especially if they're a, um, a travel doctor, some countries mm-hmm. have them, um, and work out which antibiotics you're likely to need for the part of the world that you're going to. Yeah, because right. they give you the broad, broad spectrum ones that'll cover yes. you for yeah. a, a myriad of things without being too specific. And the old-fashioned Imodium tablets, take those so if you do get an upset tummy you can start taking those and at least get if you're if you're somewhere a bit remote get on the road to get somewhere where you can let yourself recover from from the illness and i'd just like to say michelle that i understand now why they call you cast iron guts lamp fair if you and your girlfriend if you you and your girlfriend can share a meal and she's sick for two days that's extraordinary You've got it. Yeah. That's Susan for us. <laughs> we'll, we'll move on to writing in just a second, but I, I want to get just two things first. I, I want to talk about precautions, general precautions that, that you guys take when you're traveling as far as eating and drinking goes. Can we just kind of get those sort of randomly? Mm. Fried, fried food. Anything yeah. that's fried uh, is yeah. usually pretty safe. And, you know, I, I might have said it as a joke, but it's true. Beer isn't too bad for you if you thirsty and you, you you want to relax it's not so bad because it has been brewed and the other thing other thing to be careful of is um hard hard spirits uh which are probably made in a, a backyard still somewhere be very careful of that sort of stuff yep water bottles too you can buy bottled water, water. yeah um, bottled water is not necessarily good bottled water mm. again we're in nairobi and we discovered that um there were 52 brands of bottled water available. Of those 52 brands, 50 were Nairobi tap water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slumdog Millionaire, the, the movie Slumdog yeah. Millionaire, remember that? Where mm-hmm. he uh, used super glue to uh, yeah. seal the bottle. The bottle. Yeah. And I've yeah. actually seen that, seen that happen. And you just think, well, okay, fair enough. I mean, we just don't use uh, drink bottled water. We carry a, um, a, a litre con- container each, which has got a filter in the neck. 
and mm. yeah, it yeah. just means you know that whatever you're drinking. But is, sometimes is, you uh, have, sometimes you have to, and I guess you go for oil, oil. A, a more well-known brand, or you know, don't just be careful where you buy it. I mean, sometimes you do have to take the risk. It's not so easy for some travellers to boil water and carry enough, you know, boil enough overnight to carry enough to mm-hmm. keep them hydrated the next day. But yeah. and the other thing is coke and things like that, you know. It'll get you by a little bit and top, you know, with a little bit with, with your water supplies as well. Mm-hmm. How about the stories of the of the uh, waiters that have practiced the art of opening the bottle and go, as they <laughs> yep. open the bottle? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're very good at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're, yeah. they're, 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 the, they're the rarity, Jim. Yeah, they are. You know, oh, okay. I mean, the, yeah. you know, um, we can become a little overcautious, I guess, with some of these things. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah, I would still ask for if I was in a re- in a hotel or a restaurant and I asked for bottled water, I would ask for it sealed because I'm going to take so, it away. Yep. And if I yep. and I would then open it on the spot, and if it didn't open properly, no, yeah. something yeah. wrong here. Yeah. Right. Any other precautions? I don't know about precaution as such, Jim, but um, I, I really, really want people to eat the different fruits as they're traveling around the world. Oh yeah, uh, because there's just some awesome fruit out there, and of course some of them are what I think of as being God's fast food. In other words, bananas and oranges, that sort of thing, because they appeal, um, and you know you you can relatively safely eat them. And one of my favourites is papaya, but um, yeah, tropical fruits, mangoes and guavas and all that sort of stuff. Even if you've got to take it back to your hotel room, give it a, a good wash in purified water before you eat it. Yeah, fantastic. Something peel else that anything yeah, that can peel be it. peeled. Take an apple peeler. You're safe with little knife Absolutely. and you can peel apples. Be yeah. careful with uh, watermelons because sometimes watermelons can be injected with the local water to make them heavier. We've heard yes. of that being done a couple so of times. That was the yeah. thing in Turkey. Yeah, Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With um, if somebody does get sick and they're taking the antibiotics they're carrying with them, one of the things that they should do constantly is keep an eye open if they've got blood in their stool. Um, if you've got blood in your stool and you're taking the antibiotics and so on, um, you need to get yourself to a doctor. Um, well, after around three days, if you've got blood, then you get yourself to a doctor. Yes. You're in trouble. Yeah. Michelle, how, how about you? Do you have precautions? And for those who are eating now, enjoying this. <laughs> yes. You're welcome. <laughs> no, I, I traveled um, with a small bottle of iodine drops that I picked up actually in Mexico. I didn't see them in many places in the U.S. because we think we have reliable water sources that are clean, so we don't really need them. But that was the mm-hmm. trick that I picked up in Mexico and then carried through Latin America. It's just a tiny little bottle of iodine drops that you could use to treat tap water. Um, but I also carry a, a Canadian friend of mine gave me a, um, a like a hand pump for filtering water. So I have one that I travel with a drinking uh, water bottle. It's got a built-in, uh, I think, a, a life straw or something filter in it or what have mm-hmm. you. But he gave me a hand pump one so I could refill a, another container of water, this friend. And that works out really well. So making sure that I wash my utensils, wash my dishes, make sure those are clean and dried well. Um, and washing fruit and vegetables on your own. But I'm leery of things that we've talked about already, salads or fruit juices, ice, anything like that, water in glasses in restaurants or certainly in street um, food opportunities. I wouldn't, I'm I'm way more careful there. I drink closed bottle beverages and I want my food to be really hot. Yeah. So hopefully it kills some bacteria. uh, 
is brushing your teeth, you know, um, mm. with, with yep. um, the local water. Just be very, very careful with that. Use your bottled yeah. water. I don't do that, your... period. <laughs> I use, yeah. I use good bottled water or forget it or purified yeah. water, put it that yep. way. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. The iodine, you can also get um, in crystals. So if you if you want a, like want it to last longer, you can get iodine crystals, which you add water to, and then you let it sit for a certain period of time, and then you can pour the iodine out to do to make a mixture. You do have to be careful using iodine on a long-term basis. I, I know yes, they yeah. use it in, com- in some commercial treatment yeah. plants. And that's one method of doing it, but it's it's much more controlled than you're doing it that way. See, it's wanted, really good careful. for washing fruits and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it works very nicely for that. But I wouldn't drink it very much. But hey, if I you're agree. in trouble, you're in trouble. Good for cleaning cuts too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah that's, that's why true. you have a water yeah. filter too. Remember, yeah. you filter yeah. it first. That's the primary. I have a, a water filter that's a gravity feed. Hang the hang a bag full of dirty water from the handlebar and have a bucket down below catching the clean water and works a treat. Yeah. I've read a statistic and that said that um, most people are ill with stomach upsets for 24 to 28 hours and are fully healthy within a week without any residual side effects. Right. It's, it's the week where you feel not great. It <laughs> oh, yeah. feels like a month. <laughs> yes, it does. Right. Okay. So um, any, um, any other tips or pitfalls when it comes to eating or drinking? Oh, I think we covered it now. With, yep. um, you know, the, particularly the, the water and hydration and, 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 and uh, picking where and, you buy your food. Picking where you buy your food, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. There's, you know, there's, there's something I can add on to that too, Shirley. Um, buying fresh fish uh, that's been fished in the mouth of um, a, a, a big river with lots of towns and villages um, mm. further upstream, and particularly shellfish. And, and you see these on, on sale in markets and so on, and you just think, nah, um, no, chance. Not that. Yeah. no chance. Yeah. Okay, let, let's tackle the, the riding category. As far as, I mean, obviously, you know, riding has all of its, you know, its things that we have to be careful of in particular. And we've talked about many of those things on the show at different times, including riding at night. But but let's let's do that. Let's start there, really, with those those cardinal things that you do. Do you do you guys have common things that you sort of have in mind? Like you won't ride at night, and we know that one. Even though I know everybody does ride at night, we've already been, been through that with another conversation. But at times, and you'd have to go listen to that episode. Maybe we'll put a link into that episode in the show notes for this one if you're curious about what I'm I'm talking about. So so what sort of rules do you set up for yourself, Grant, for riding? Pay attention to the local method of riding. I mean, you have to figure out what the local rules are because they aren't the same as you're used to. I mean, even for me coming from Canada to living in Australia, I was going like, what? And then I, we were in Melbourne and what, what is with these, what, why is everybody over, they're doing, they're starting over on the right-hand side and then they're going, what? It was weird. You know, it's just completely different rules for dealing with things. The, the street trams in Melbourne, there's a strange way of getting around them, which I would would never have occurred to me, but that's the way they do it there. So you really have to pay attention to the local methods. And often you'll look at it and think, these guys are nuts. Why are they doing that? Why? What? <laughs> but everybody knows the rules and everybody's doing the same thing. Yep. And it works for them. Um, I remember um, I almost had to take the motorcycle test in the UK when I was living there. Managed to avoid it. But uh, one of the things I heard that you could fail on was failing to make progress. In other words, you could have gone there. There was a space for you on the motorcycle, 
but you didn't take it. That means that you're timid and you're uncertain. Therefore, you fail. What? (laughs) Are you crazy? (laughs) One of my my golden rules is might is right. If you're big on the road, you get out of the way Um, because uh, in India, in Iran, all over the place, that's the rule of the road. Um, mm-hmm. The bigger you are, the more roads you get, and um, you're entitled to it, apparently, according to some of them. Of course. And, uh, well, the other uh, thing, sorry, go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, no, no, that's okay. No, no, that, that's one of the golden rules. And I agree with you about um, trying to find out about the local conditions. One of the areas where I find it pretty difficult to understand is the United States of America, where Filtering is legal in some states and not in others. And the the guy who um, uh, nearly pulled the uh, the gun out of his rack of his ute as I was uh, filtering in Texas, I got that message loud and clear that it's not legal in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, but back to the one that Grant said at the start while paying yeah. attention to how, how they ride there. <laughs> yes. But you, know, but, you know, in other in other states, it is legal. So yeah. it's it's uh, when you're stuck on the I-35 or whatever it is uh, coming up and uh, you want to make a bit of headway, well, you know, you just got to be a bit yeah. careful. You go to England and cars move aside for you to go through. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, my rule on filtering when I'm in another country, it's very simple. If a motorcycle filters past me, I'll follow him, yeah, period. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, same. Well, I'm not going to be first to get shot or whatever. <laughs> but again, it's, it's following the local rules. I mean, if I arrive in a strange city that's really tough, I remember arriving in Cairo and, oh, my goodness, that place is something else. We just sat down at a, at a cafe and just had a drink and watched the traffic. And, okay, these guys are nuts, but okay, yeah, I'm kind of getting with the swing of things. And your comment, Brian, about might makes right, I think we all have to remember that in most of these countries, we are on very big, heavy motorcycles. We are not on little scooters that can go zip, zip, zip sideways instantaneously and get out of the way. They're not used to how slowly we get out of the way. Mm-hmm. So it's our fault because we're on a big, heavy bike. That's the reason that we get into trouble. It's like the toll roads that allow bikes to go through on a little laneway around the outside so you don't have to pay the toll. But when mm-hmm. we've got our panniers on, we can't get through that little laneway. So you go right. through the toll gate and they get really annoyed with you because you're the idiot foreigner who doesn't know you shouldn't be coming through the toll gate. But they forget <laughs> how big our bikes are in comparison to their little scooters that their locals are riding around on. Yes. That's right. We were riding with a guy in um, Peru. I think it was Peru anyway. Um and there were one of those um, little sideways um, routes to go through, and um, he got stuck. So all yeah. of a sudden, oh. <laughs> we, wor- we worked out in the end that um, how to get him out there was for him to get off the bike and first gear and throttle, and the rest of us walked along behind him, lifting the back end of his bike. It was quite entertaining. I wish wow. somebody had recorded it. <laughs> yeah. I've the BMW is 30, 32 inches wide is the BMW, and I reckon they're 32 and a half inches wide, those little things <laughs> in Malaysia. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's one of the things I was careful with. I set up my R80 GS. Everybody thinks it's a big, fat bike, but it's actually 
eight inches narrower than my 1200 GS. Mm -hmm. So it goes through those things easily. No problem. But the 1200, forget it. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Going back to what you said earlier on, Grant, um, Rome is a perfect example. And mm -hmm. riding, I sat by the side of the road there because I was just thinking, this is sheer lunacy. Mm -hmm. um, and then I realized nobody was looking to the sides or behind them. Everybody was only looking to the front. And because of that, they were able to duck and dive with almost no speed at all. And I think that's the perfect example of sitting to watch what the locals are doing. Yeah, for sure. And Jakarta is the same way. Mm -hmm. you know, masses of, of scooters and little bikes and they're just all over the place but yeah. i never saw an accident you know everybody was doing fine and they were all just going zip 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 and yeah it's, it's the fine. same it's the same in vietnam they're so polite mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. that big intersection in uh, hanoi we, we sat there and watched it and watched it and watched it and people just worked their way around it but the traffic's slow and you can get around if you're going to go fast and do stupid things that's when you're going to um, come to grief yeah. We saw one accident in Vietnam, and that was um, way down south. And somebody just came out of a side turning and uh, wasn't paying for full attention, which is quite yeah. bizarre, really. And um, clipped this lady on a scooter. She went over, and the two of them were very apologetic. And he helped her pick her bike up, and she climbed on it and left. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. I think one one of the the cardinal things that I really learned was that. For North Americans in particular, this is the hard part for the rest of the world. Um, in North America, you own your lane. Your, your spot in the lane, you own it. It's yours. Nobody can intrude. Stay out. Stay away. This is my spot. And when you come to a light, you stop and you do exactly that. And you don't try and sneak past. You're polite and absolutely following the rules. And... Progress is not a thing that matters, whereas in the rest of the world, it's all about progress, as I was saying, making progress. Everybody wants to get there and everybody cooperates and people will move over a couple of inches so you can squeeze by and it's okay. And everybody keeps moving, which is the whole thing with, for instance, roundabouts as opposed to stoplights that we have so many of here. It, it's just a different way of thinking. And, and what I you're think, describing is they're using all the space on the road yes. rather than leaving holes. And cooperating mm -hmm. and there sharing. Are more, there are There's more a and big more difference states. in thinking. There are more and more states in the U.S. that are beginning to allow filtering. Uh, it'll yes. be interesting to see how long well, it takes for everybody. And, and I was and, told after having sat for two and a half hours in a traffic jam, I think it was probably Georgia, um, where there'd been an accident. I was on the freeway. And, um, yeah, three lanes of traffic, everybody just standing still. No shade, mm -hmm. nothing. And uh, it was only later that somebody said, oh, well, in Georgia, you can go down the hard shoulder. Oh, right, okay. I wonder how many yeah. states there are in the U.S. that you can actually do that in that circumstance. Yeah. Well, that's illegal here, for instance, in B.C., mm -hmm. but motorcycles do it all the time on Highway 1 coming out of Vancouver when the traffic jams up. They're just – it's just everybody does it. And nobody really seems to complain, but if a cop sees you, he'll give you a ticket for it. Right. So, and how much is that ticket gone? <laughs> I don't know, but it's not cheap. Mm. The hard part about the United States, too, especially with the interstate system and highway system, people are traveling between states so much that there's enough traffic on the road that may not even know what the local rules are. So from mm -hmm. literally one driver to the next, you may have someone tell you it's safe to filter, it's safe to ride on a shoulder, but two cars up, that guy may think you shouldn't. 
and yep. maybe aggressive. And you, you do have to be particularly in the U.S., sadly, very careful about that. Um, yep. But I think it's, you know, about attitude and cooperation. And if you're not cutting someone off, you're just moving along to take care of yourself, but not impeding their progress. Hopefully they're more receptive to it. Um, but, you know, I find as is, is you were saying earlier, um, and Grant mentioned, you know, there's this attitude of cooperation in certain parts of the world. And we do ride on bigger adventure bikes, which are bigger than some of the smaller local mopeds and scooters and things like that. But there's also, um, you know, I, I remember being in Latin America and particularly in Peru and in Colombia, we're as big as our bikes can be compared to locals. We're still pretty low on the food chain in terms of traffic on the road. If you're ever on the Pan American highway and there mm. are tons and tons of trucks, they are absolutely not looking for you. So it's our jobs to be very proactive, to look ahead, um, not just, you know, what's around you and behind you, but of course, staying very attuned to what's in your mirrors, how quickly a truck is coming up on your backside, um, you know, how quickly you're approaching one that you're coming up on, but also trucks that are passing that are, you know, coming in your direction, they're entering from side lanes. We really have to be on high alert because that, that traffic flow is very different than what we're used to. And it's also kind of a fluid dynamic. It's changing all the time. And I, I, I've been in Lima traffic and I remember being boxed in on every side. It was an eight lane highway. So eight lanes moving southbound through Lima. And I was boxed in on both sides and front and back by container hauling trucks. And I literally felt like I was in a moving hole in the highway. And if I had slowed down or sped up or tried to go to the, my left or right, I couldn't. I was boxed in and very, very reliant on the consistent speed of those trucks on every side of me. And it was terrifying. And there was no escape for me if one of them had a blowout or one of them, you know, got too close on my backside. It, there was no way out for, you know, mm -hmm. maybe 15 to 20 minutes. So you just really have to be alert and and look out for yourself and don't assume that truck drivers and everybody else out there see you or that they even care. They may see yeah. you, but they may not care in other countries and they're used to locals getting out of their way. And if, if you aren't aware of that, you're putting yourself in a little bit of danger. So stay, yeah. stay alert. That's yeah. a long time to be in a situation like that. Wow. That, yeah. that is scary. I, I was going to add that because you said low on the food chain is something I thought about when we were talking about uh, might is right thing. Even in North America, we are, as motorcyclists, we are at the bottom, pretty close to being the bottom of the, of the food chain as far as traffic goes. I think some riders forget this, you know, because you there's a lot of stuff. If you if, you know look at videos, for instance, on, on YouTube, you'll see a lot of things of people doing stuff like breaking mirrors or getting in arguments with vehicles. And what people, I think, some somehow forget is that, first of all, vehicles accelerate very quickly now. They brake very hard. They corner extremely well. And you're just on a little motorcycle, you know, you, you don't want to be picking fights, you know, road rage fights with someone in a vehicle in a cage while you're on a motorcycle. It's, it's something to keep in mind. I think, uh, I, I remember that the, the advice I think was in David Huff's, one of David Huff's books, his uh, street riding skills book. He had said that, uh, you know, you, if you get worked up, pull over, take a break, take five okay. minutes mm -hmm. rather Absolutely. than losing your head and starting a road rage thing. Yeah. Well, all a yeah. car needs to do is tap you lightly and that's it. You're off in the weeds. Exactly. And that's ugly. Yeah. And they won't even notice it. Mm -hmm. Look, most, most truck drivers are pretty good, but, you know, there, there are the ones that uh, really don't care. And, 
You know, well, they're just not looking. They're just not looking. Like, you know, I, I can still picture the guy driving along in Argentina coming towards me reading the newspaper on the steering wheel <laughs> and veering into my lane. And, I, you know, I'm sure he was reading the sporting pages. I'm sure I could see it. You know? <laughs> oh, on my way down to, to Africa at the beginning of the big trip, I was in Italy and I just happened to find myself for a, a small section on a, a four-lane highway. Um and uh, I pulled up alongside a guy who was behaving a little bit erratically. I was in a, a, a fairly big size um, pickup truck, but I was taller than he was. And when I looked into his cab to see what he was doing, he was sitting there reading porno magazines. Let's <laughs> <laughs> put it this way. I opened the throttle and got the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. Sam, is the point of your story his poor reading material or his poor driving ethics? It definitely his poor driving style. He was only looking at the pictures. And the other the other thing was um the um in Iran, um the truck drivers don't believe in using lights. They put their parkers on at night, yeah. At night and yeah, look, you don't ride at night if you can avoid it. But we have been caught out a couple of times. And I tell you what, that's scary when you see this big black hulk coming towards you and two little pissy little lights on the side. You don't know what it is, you know? Oh, those guys are well lit. You should try Egypt and the Sinai Peninsula. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like uh, none. Yeah. None at all. So just to throw that in there, the other precaution is don't ride at night. I mean, we've talked yeah, about that yeah. before, right? right? Oh, That's yeah. a big one that sort of everybody agrees with. Don't ride at night. However, like Brian said, there are times where you find yourself getting caught out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does everybody know why the Egyptians don't use their lights at night on the trucks? I'm afraid they we're wearing the batteries now. We're saving the battery. Yeah. 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 Wow. I've heard that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they wear out their horns because in traffic, it's constant. Here I am, 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 here I am. am. (laughs) Any other general precautions for riding? All the gear, all the time. Yes. All the time. Doesn't matter how hot it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I even, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm, I've seen it happen. I've had a couple of friends break wrists and ankles. I wear my boots when I, even when I'm in a campsite and I'm just riding something slow speed, I put my boots on. Um, Mm -hmm. I need traction for, you know, lifting up the bike or moving it around. And I just feel like, you know, I, I've seen people move their bikes with flip-flops, just moving at one parking space over and a little slip leads to a scratch or a broken ankle. And yeah. I, I hate the thought of that. So I'm, I'm probably over, overly cautious, but I do it. You're not yeah, yeah. because those, for example, those scratches, not only can you damage your bike and a spare part that you can't get hold of while you're out there, um, but also those scratches, they're one of the things that um, overlanders tend to neglect and they can become infected so fast, can't they? So protect yourself. It's simple. Yeah. You know, it's notable. Uh, Clinton Smout, who does a lot of our rider skills on, on for Adventure Rider Radio, he wears a helmet anytime he moves a motorcycle. And this guy's an expert rider, been riding his entire life, teaching for I don't know how many years, hundreds of thousands of people's taught. And just to move a bike like 10 feet, if he's going to load a bike on the back of his truck or on a trailer, he puts his helmet on. And he says, there's so many times people say to him, what are you doing? But he does it just for the for the reason you expect safety, obviously, right? Because if yeah. something goes wrong, he want, doesn't want to be the one cracking his head off the the, the pavement or the side of a vehicle. So, yeah. for the um, first time in absolute years, I did that at the at the show this weekend, and afterwards what? I thought, Sam, you idiot! Oh, you mean rode without your gear? Yeah, mm-hmm. that 150 yards, but 150 yards, 150 yards. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take much of a, of a smack on your head on a sharp object to yep. do some serious damage. And I mean, boy, what a waste. I mean, having a helmet and not putting it on for that one time that you fall over and smack your head and, mm-hmm. and do some damage. I mean, well, how stupid would you feel yep. to yourself? Yeah. But it's not worth the risk. We'll move on from riding, sleeping in accommodations. What sort of... Um, Can we ride <laughs> back to just one last one for riding? Definitely. Um, heat stroke. Mm. Yeah. We're sitting out there in the baking heat in so many places and heat stroke, it can kill you. It's the most what? serious form of heat exhaustion and it happens when heat exhaustion is ignored and allowed to continue and it is classified as a medical emergency. So should be treated as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And especially when we said at GAT, when you're riding with all the gear, very mm-hmm. hot, Sam, you're yeah. stuck in traffic for two hours, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a very hot environment. Yeah, it can, it can certainly, so that's worth doing some research on. I mean, first aid courses are great, obviously, but doing some research on to understand uh, that's the extreme one, but I mean, right from just overheating to heat stroke to understand the, the symptoms and signs of it and uh, yeah. learning how to deal with it. Yeah, but, but avo- avoidance is, is easy. It's really easy. You know, you, yeah. do, you don't wait until you're thirsty to take a sip of water. You should be sipping all the time, particularly in hot weather like that. And, I, yeah. and, and just use common sense. Ride early in the day if you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I, I was out mustering sheep and broke down in the middle of nowhere, like in, in, out in the outback. And um, and it, it's it's hot. You're like talking 40-plus degrees centigrade out there, hardly any shade. And if I'd have tried to walk 10 miles, you'd be dead. So you just sit under a tree and wait because people know where you are. Yeah, they come and get you. No, it's you got to use your common sense all the time. I don't know, Brian. I mean, to me, using common sense, why don't you just ride the sheep back? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a Kiwi. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no idea what that means. Nothing you to might want to that out. I want nothing to do with this. <laughs> no, you don't. In South Dakota, we say the same thing about Wyoming, and I'll get lots of booze yeah. for that. Too. <laughs> see, if you leave it in, Jim, you'll be able to see how many New Zealand listeners you've got. That <laughs> would be the more exactly point. what it means, but I just don't I don't want to bother with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously, it's common sense, and and you've got to use that all the time. And the, and and Sam's right, heat strike, you lose common sense. That's yep, one of the yep. first things you lose very, really quickly. So you know, make sure you're carrying water. I, I always, even you know, if I'm going on a long ride, even in winter time, I'll be wearing um, um, a water uh, container and and sipping water quite frequently you know yeah but heat stroke isn't isn't just dehydration heat stroke is your your body's yeah, yeah. inability to cool off right? i know i know yeah. but but, yeah. but i knew you know. i just wanted to mention that though yeah, yeah one other thing to mention too is that if you are actually thirsty you are already medically dehydrated yeah. mm-hmm. so yeah, you don't want to get thirsty indicator. you want to keep keep drinking steady so you don't get thirsty and that's yeah. where most people go wrong i find yeah yeah, yeah. very easy sweet. You should be checking it by your by your urine, of course. Should be clear and copious, yeah. not um, not yellow and smelly. And just keep anyway. drinking and drink and drink and drink and drink. That's it's it's really hard to drink too much. I mean, it's it's a number of liters to drink too many. Mm-hmm. 
Water, you're talking about. Water, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on. Moving, I didn't want to get Brian started there. Um, moving on to, to sleeping and accommodations. So sleeping and accommodations, general precautions. So, I mean, sleeping, I mean, you could be camping. It could be um, uh, staying in a, in a hostel, B&B, hotel, whatever the case is. Where do we start with this? Sam? I think staying in, um, I mean, one of the things that we do is we always take our ground sheet into a hotel because we're cheap. Um, we tend to stay in rock bottom budget hotels and, um, quite often the, the beds are full of bugs and all of the rest of it. <sighs> yeah. So we'll take our enough. tent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you do. And sometimes that's all you can find. Yeah. Um, so we just take our ground sheet in and, We'll put that over the bed and then sleep on top of that. Sometimes, if it looks really bad, we'll take our, our tent in a, um, and open that out. So it's a, because it's a dome tent and not a tunnel tent, we can just put that up on top of the bed. And that's a beauty because then we've also got um, a built-in mosquito net as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. just such a simple thing to do, but it works really, really well. Well, on that Sleepy. note, I was going to say uh, I knew Susan was a keeper when we hit Baja. Um, on our beginning of our round the world trip, the first actual place we camped out was in Baja. Oh, sorry, we didn't camp out. We took a hotel in this tiny little town and it looked okay, you know, kind of a little, well, okay, this is Baja, but you know, it's nothing great. But went in and she flipped the the, uh, bed covers back and I swear the whole thing moved. Mm -hmm. Oh, thousands and thousands of bugs. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, yes, we got the ground sheet out and we slept there and it was fine. No problems after that, no sign of bugs, no bug bites. But she said, okay, I can do this. Yeah, you're very cool. Yeah. Yeah, but well, that was tough. Yeah. The sleep, sleeping bag liners are a good thing too. We've used them before. Mm, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They're pretty damn good um, if you've got any doubts about the bed at all. Yeah. Depends on whether it opens out, but um, we carry uh, silk sleeping bed bag liners. They're yeah, really nice. So do we. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're good. Mm-hmm. They're good. Yeah. And they take up no room. The smaller yeah. than a mobile phone. Yep. And the great thing about it, of course, is it's easier to wash those than your whole sleeping bag. Oh, Lord, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hate washing sleeping bags. That's bad. It's not good for them at all. No. Yep. Wash the liner. And malaria is something that you've really got to watch out for in hotels. Um, some of them are just infested and we tend to have a little walk around the back of a hotel and that sort of stuff um, if we've got time and just see whether there's lots of stagnant water we found in quite a few places that they were growing um, plants in old tin cans as in big tin cans flour and that sort of stuff some old um, fuel ones and they'd filled it with soil and planted a plant in there but then watered the plant and left two inches of, of, of water on the top of it Mm-hmm. You could just you could just see the mosquito larvae um, yeah. buzzing around in that. Um, yeah, a couple of times we saw that we just moved straight on. It's not worth it. Yeah, um, not worth the risk. It's on the subject of malaria. It's well worth having a look to see what the different types of malaria are in the in the areas that you're going to and what the percentage are. I was reading something um, the other day that said twenty um, percent of deaths in Nigeria are from malaria. Get that twenty percent. Wow! Wow! Yeah, staggering. Apparently, yeah. there are 207 million cases of malaria um, every year. The world population is roughly 8 billion. So that's a significant percentage, isn't it? And that would be significantly reduced if they were if they were sleeping with nets. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, huge. Yeah, because this is where a lot of it happens as well while they're asleep, while you're asleep, rather than walking around. 
We carried a net to begin with, um, with because very many times you book into a hotel and the net's there, but it's got so many holes and you might as well not use it. Um, and in the end, we junked it, so I just used our tent in a, just keeping the, the space and weight down. They don't weigh much, but they take up a fair bit of space, especially if they're a double. Mm. Any other sleeping um, precautions you guys can think of, things that have happened to you? I've got a couple of things oh. as far as camping. Um, oh, camping, if, unless you want me to save that for a no, second. No, no, this is all, this camping would be in this one. Okay. So thinking about changing conditions in when, when you're selecting your campsite, I know a lot of um, places in the world have what look like dry, rocky kind of flat spots, but they may actually be a flash flood area. Um, in Mexico and a lot of Central America, they're known as arroyos, uh, but, and they appear to be bone dry. There's no tiny stream or anything running through, no indication really that it's going to be you know, potentially hazardous area, but just know and check with locals and make sure that, you know, if a raging storm, you know, comes through that you're not going to be, you know, sitting in the bottom of a riverbed without having known it. And it's mm-hmm. amazing how wide some of those river or drainage areas can be. So it does not look like a creek bed. So it, it's less mm-hmm. obvious to you than you would think. Um, but also if mm-hmm. you're camping near the shore to be aware of rising tides, um, when selecting site, these sound like very basic things, but I've, I've seen some incidents where, you know, people have not selected their campsite very well. Um, so those can be helpful things. I've seen a tent floating away. Oh yeah. Yeah. Any other sleeping? I rode with, uh, Max in Ecuador and Colombia, and generally we'd agree on where to stay. But he'd always go for the absolute cheapest. I mean, really cheap. But one time that was below my standards. He paid, I think, eight bucks. I paid 12, 50% more, a lot more expensive. And he was really giving me a bad time about it. But the difference in the place, wow. He had no mosquito netting. The toilet was absolutely disgusting, flies everywhere. There was no ventilation. The sheets hadn't been washed in years. I mean, it was grim. I had a great view above the river. It was lovely. The mosquito netting was excellent. River noises to lull me to sleep. Nice. Worth every penny. And then he came to meet me in the morning so we could leave. And when he saw what I had, he said, you were right. I should have paid the extra. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the point, cheapest huh? is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. There's always a place in town that's the worst. Go a notch or two above. Might be worth it. So we've moved into into accommodations now. So how about some? I know Sam, you've got some interesting tips about accommodations, about how you choose a place to stay. Can you maybe give some of those? The first one, it's, it's got to be somewhere we can get the bike off the road. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just got to be behind a you know and in, in locked courtyard or um, able to get into the reception area. Sometimes the restaurant at night, when the restaurant's closed, they'll let um, let you wheel the bike in there makes so much difference and it's one of the reasons why we always carry a piece of string that's the length of the widest point on our motorcycles because that way we can go up to a door when they're saying oh yeah bring it into reception we can go up to the reception door and think yep we can fit that through there or nope we're gonna have to find somewhere else Um, it's only a couple of times on the whole trip that um i I couldn't get the bikes off the the street but yeah it's peace of mind i've used a t-tower i've used a t-tower for that Mission that we yeah. get the boy. Yeah. Yeah. Good. 
that we're two uses rule. I, I discovered that um, some hotels would really like you to put the bike inside because it's an attraction. Our bike was in the mm -hmm. restaurant in Melchor de Mancos, Guatemala, while I was sick, and his business tripled because everybody mm -hmm. wanted to see that La Grande Moto. <laughs> it was quite amazing. From Canada, wow. Is that the same restaurant deal? that you ate at when you got <laughs> sick? Uh, I was sick when I arrived in Melchor de Mancos, oh. and their food was very good. It was fine. Because I was just wondering if it was a bit of a thing he had going there. Here's oh, what no. we're going to do. <laughs> Get this gringo sick, yeah. yeah. No, that was also the place where I was, was really sick, and nobody – like we couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and we finally went and found a doctor who came back into town and he gave me a shot and to this day i do not know what he gave me i do not know what i had but i was fine the next day hmm. oh well <laughs> glad it worked maybe out that best way. not ask yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and it was well, a shot sam, in the butt too <laughs> sam did you finish there uh, well no i was just gonna um, mention one other, th other thing um when people are camping, there are quite a few countries in the world where dengue fever's around. So mm. just be dengue fever, mosquitoes will zap you during the daytime, not at nighttime. Um, so just pay attention to sitting around in the shade and, and that sort of thing, because if there are dengue mosquitoes around, that's where they're going to get you. So there are some times where it's, um, it's worth not doing that. But mm. these will also help you with um, dengue mosquitoes. Mm. Uh, Sam, you you also said one time you talked about choosing a place not necessarily on the ground floor. What was that about? Or maybe it was the ground floor. You said no, it was um, uh, up above, if if possibly can. The the people watching opportunities from the first floor, you know, first floor up, um, just fantastic. You can just see down into the street. You can see life going along. Great photographic opportunities from up there. Um, you know, sometimes the, the 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 instinct is to go for the quietest room at the back of the hotel, but if you're there for a couple of days, then having a room at the front of the hotel, first floor up, yeah, fantastic. Hmm. That's a good point. Okay, so um, let's let's move into um what I would call environmental, and and Sam's done some of this already: insects, animals, weather, geographic geographic anomalies. I don't know. Is there is there anything that fits into there that that um Anyone has a story about or or or, or um, advice about? Can I tell a story, Jim? <coughs> Absolutely. This is very Australian, but um, and this is environmental. It's water. It's swimming. It's uh, you know you're in a really nice location and there's lovely sandy beach and the the sea looks great. In Australia, the majority of people who drown in our oceans are not have not grown up near the ocean. They don't know uh, that. Calm water can actually mean undercurrents, that if there's flags on the beach, you need to swim between them, that swimming at dawn and dusk is probably not so good for you or during the night. And people just rush to the beach and go, wow, how good does that water look? And jump in and find themselves in a rip and being carted well away from where they want to be. And the other thing is the further north you go in, in Australia, in summertime, when you really want to go swimming, you can't because the water's got stingers that are um, deadly, uh, saltwater crocodiles. Uh, we've been in the mangroves up in Cairns in a boat and there was an island in the middle of the mangroves saying, "Do not," with a sign saying, do not swim in this area because of the crocodiles. And the guy who was taking the boat 
showed us a photo of tourists who jumped off a boat and swum out to have their photo taken near the sign. Did they make it back? They did make it back, but you cannot legislate against stupid. But but (laughs) when you look at something, it it just goes back to this checking with the locals. Yeah, Yeah, we were in, in, in Goa and we asked at the hotel what the sea was like. And they said, oh, no, it's very dangerous. But when we went down there, it, it wasn't. But it's we swam a lot better than a lot of the local Indians who would never see the sea, who come there on holidays and, and can't swim at all. So you've just, you've just got to be so careful of something that looks so wonderful and seems so enticing but can be deadly. You mentioned about swimming uh, in the evening or at night. What's the problem with that? Well, that's that's, that's when um, crocodiles and, sharks and sharks fish. Yeah, I see. yeah, yeah. That's the big thing. And, and we've had um, tour operators in the north charged with allowing um, their uh, tourists. I think they were German tourists yeah. swimming uh, in the evening in creeks, uh, and a crocodile took one or two people like that. Um, so you know, you, you just got to be so careful. And that's another thing about. Um, camping with um, n- near water, uh, crocodiles come out and they will they will go for you. Similar. They look sluggish, but, but they they're can, not. Mm, they can, oh, they're fast too. Yeah. I heard you could stare them down if you you know you really look at them and concentrate. Yeah. <laughs> Punch them in the eye. Yeah, if you get close. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good luck. Not like your little alligators you got over there. These are big crocodiles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't like to come across a little alligator. <laughs> no, no, me no. either. No, me neither. Yeah, the other, yeah, the other thing about swimming is, um, and this happened to me. Um, I was uh, in Pumacala in um, in Turkey, and there was a hotel we were staying at, which had um, uh, the swimming pool had uh, at the bottom of it ancient Roman ruins that had fallen into the bottom of it. And it's beautiful, warm water. So I'm duck diving down, taking photos with my underwater camera, really close up, you know, only about 10 or 15 feet down, stuff like that. Um, Warm water really is not good for um, ears because you get infections and all that sort of stuff. So I I ended up with infected ears from um, duck diving into warm water. And um, let me tell you, that's damn painful. And I think on that trip we we flew to Santorini, didn't we, Sean? Yeah. yeah. And um, a, a changing height when you've got infected ears is really painful. Oh, misery. Uh, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So I ended up going to the um, the uh, hospital at uh, Santorini to get some antibiotics, which I knew I needed just to clear up the infection. And that in itself was an experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. The kidney, uh, the doctor sitting there wouldn't take any, 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 um, give me any advice or write a script until I paid him first up. He had his ledger all there and a, a dirty kidney dish on the side. But, um, you know, that's, um, to me, um, swimming in warm water it does have its dangers and you've got to think about that. Swimming, it seems like, I mean, this may be very obvious, but swimming seems like one of those things that you really want to check before you go doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to be, you should be very proficient at it too, you know, don't just take it for granted. I'm thinking, and to Shirley's point, because Shirley's saying that, you know, like if it looks great, you know, that type of thing, you go, oh, wow, this is perfect. I'm going to jump in for a swim and there's nobody here. Well, maybe there's a reason there's nobody there. Yeah. Yeah. 
points. Yeah, Lake Malawi is a popular place to swim, but Bellarzia is a problem there. Um, mm -hmm. They even recommend that you get the treatment, Prazequantal or something like that. Um, you can get it anywhere in Malawi for a few bucks, and they recommend that you take it two weeks after swimming in Lake Malawi. Wow. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. It makes a huge amount of sense. I had it um, after being in Lake Malawi, and yeah, I went swimming in it because it looked absolutely amazing. With mm -hmm. thousands of tiny little fish that would come and nibble on a chunk of bread that you've got in your hand. They're all multicolored and all of this sort of stuff. And I knew the risk, but I was not going to miss out on the opportunity of swimming in this amazing water. But I did go and get myself checked. And yes, I had it. And so the, you know, the, the course was a couple of vaccinations and then it was job done. But my friends, Mike and Sally, who came through, gosh, must have been about six months later, they didn't get checked until they got back from their trip four years later. Um, and yeah, they both had it and you don't get any real symptoms, which say that actually you're being eaten from the inside. So yeah, yeah. it is very much one to be careful of. Explain. Well, what to, is it? it, it yeah, please. Please. Explain that a little bit. What is it? It's, um, it's a, a tiny little creature that lives in slow moving water. Um, and it can just go through your skin. It's as simple as that. Um, so around villages in particular, where there are human beings, then you tend to find it. But uh, Lake Malawi, along the shores and so on, it um, it tends to be fairly rampant. So, so it goes you, through your skin, and then what? Um, just works its way into your um, into your renal system, and oh, um, it can also oh. affect your kid, your, both your kidneys and your liver. Basically, it lives inside you, and you don't want it there. No, no, you definitely don't. No, if somebody yeah. starts peeing blood, then I'm told it's too late. Wow. So it can chew away in there for ages. but uh, So it's like a bacteria organism or something? Uh, I'd have to check. Um, my brain's yeah. too addled, Grant. It's oh, not no, a bacteria. I forget. It's, okay. a, it's a critter of some kind. Okay. Yeah, it I sounds forget. like that. Yeah. 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 But, you know, to keep our conversation in perspective, um, the world's biggest killer disease is um, coronary artery disease. So the moral of that story is don't stay at home. It's dangerous. Okay, so that covers uh, off our swimming thing. Lifestyle differences I had here, laws, customs, religion. What sort of advice would you give for that? Brian, let's start with you. Uh, one thing I had listed here was um, if you get offered drugs, don't take them. <laughs> Uh, the, we were offered drugs in it. We were on the Karakoram Highway and pulled up uh, just having a bit of a break and um, a, a, a short wheelbased uh, open top uh, four-wheel drive came along and, you know, with about 15 blokes on it and they wanted alcohol and they wanted to swap hash for alcohol. And I'm thinking, no, 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 don't do this. <laughs> so we did and then and then we were in uh, Kathmandu in Nepal and uh, walking down the street and I was looking a little bit I don't know Rastafarian maybe I don't know but anyway <laughs> guy on side of something and, and, and wants me to, to buy drugs and I'm sure he was undercover cop sure he was mm. but uh, you know that, that sort of stuff you've got to be careful of you know and it's 
there's uh, big penalties in some of these countries. So where's a good place to buy the drugs then, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> at, your, at your local store where they sell them over in the States. Legally, <laughs> yeah. Colorado. You, you made, it, you made yeah. it sound like that. You said, don't buy them. You know, like, in other words, don't buy them from him. No, you go over here uh, and buy them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, go to Colorado. Yeah, talking about local um, local mores that you need to be aware of. There's been a very salutary story in the news in Australia over the last month. Oh, yes. A young guy from, I think, New South Wales went to um, Bali and ended up in Arche at a surfing beach. Uh, alcohol is banned. They live by Sharia law. He got his hands on some alcohol, which would have been brewed in someone's backyard, so it would have been, you know, alcohol content, who knows, got absolutely wasted, ended up running around the streets naked, pushed some poor fisherman off his motorbike and then pushed the bike onto this little fisherman, this local fisherman, was tied up by the locals, carted off to the police station, was either going to do something like five years jail plus 30 lashes um, for drinking alcohol, assault, uh, running naked, which is something they don't approve of. And mm. in the end, um, they did a deal where he paid something like 25000 Australian dollars to the local family to help the fisherman uh, and his family live until he was able to go back to work from the terrible leg injury he had from being pushed out off his, his bike. Wow. Uh, the kid was paraded by the police with a balaclava on, handcuffed, um, they were carrying AK-47s. I mean, I don't know what sort of a flight risk a teenager in bare feet is going to be. Um, he was humiliated and taught a very salutary lesson and I hope a lot of the young folk who go to places and think, I can drink at home, I can go surfing at home and you know, I don't have to worry about what these people do because I do it all the time. And this kid has cost him a lot of money. He's saying he'd like to go back to Bali one day to continue his surfing holiday. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. You know, you've, you've got yeah. I've been deported from a country on your passport. He's going to have trouble travelling anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And other customs you've got to be aware of, like you were um, castigated for wearing pants into a a monastery, weren't you? you yeah, had to go and I had put to a dress go, on. Yep. So I had to do a striptease in the street so I could get a skirt on to go into the monastery. Go figure that one out, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to dress like the locals too. I mean, we even noticed that back in the 80s in Central America and Mexico. There was no men wandering around in short sleeve shirts. Mm. Nobody wore yeah. shorts. It was long sleeve shirts, long sleeve pants, properly dressed. And that's the way it was. Um, so we dressed the same as the locals. Yeah. Um, you have to go along with the local mores and customs. You may not agree with it. It may not be your standards, but you don't want to do what the New South Wales kid just had an experience of. You've got to follow mm -hmm. along with the locals. You don't want to offend yeah. them. You don't want them mad at you. They don't want you thinking all foreigners are scum. And this is part of the fun of traveling. It's finding out about all of this sort of stuff. And it's not only finding out the rules, but working out where these different rules have come from. And one of the ones that stands in my mind is that there are some countries in the world where walking around wearing a pair of shorts, well, to the locals, you're walking around wearing your underpants. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah don't don't right. ask me where that rule came from because I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's like going into churches in a lot of churches in um, Europe. Right. 
to a, a woman in a singlet top, you know, with exposed mm. shoulders is mm. is yeah. not acceptable. No. Yeah. It's yeah. it's when you read about women who go to Iran, you know, feminist sisters who say, well, I'm not going to wear the head covering because I don't agree that the women of Iran should do that. Well, you know, you may not agree, but it's their law and you just have to abide by it. You just got to be yeah. careful. And and I think, yeah, and I think that's part of the experience for me too. Is I'm not I'm not there to buck the system, whether I agree with it or not. I'm there to be respectful and conservative and be what I think is a good representative or ambassador for my country. So if I'm going to yeah. go in and be respectful, then I feel like hopefully they have a better perception of what other Americans are like. And if yeah, I go exactly in and I'm right. loud and brash and disrespectful, that gives them another impression of Americans. And I don't want that. So I, I try to yeah. really represent my myself and, and also treat them with respect. Um, yeah, in, in everything that I do. So I try to be conservative about the time of day that I'm riding in and setting up camped, um, how I'm dressed, um, my gestures that I use, my language, my behavior overall. There's a lot of different components of just really trying to some degree to blend in, but also to show respect for you know the country that I'm visiting. I think one example would be um, when I was in riding in Pakistan a couple of years ago, we were told that it, we were going over Babasar Pass um, on our way to the Karakoram Highway, and we were riding from the top of a pass where the weather was very cold and we were dressed in a lot of layers. And actually, I think it was snowing a little bit that day. And at the end of the ride, a couple of hours later, we were down in a deep valley at a checkpoint at Chalas. And from Chalas, we were going on to Gilgit for the night. Um, and at Chalas, it was incredibly hot. It was, it was a big temperature change. And we were told when we arrived at the checkpoint, because there would be a number of men there with trucks, um, military members, because it's a military checkpoint, um, but men kind of a, a, a crowd of people, but generally men, because that just happens to be who's driving trucks, etc. So even if we're hot when we arrive at the checkpoint, please make an effort not to start stripping off layers because it's it's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, so if you take your jacket off, but then don't pull off a long sleeve shirt off from underneath, don't strip down to like a tank top or something that's that's just rude and and very disrespectful. So all of those things are helpful to know so that you are, you know, even though you're trying to, you know, enjoy your ride and take care of yourself and not overheat and all of that, there, there are just ways of making it work. So we went around behind a truck to take off a couple of layers and put our coats back on before we came back to bikes, just to, you know, again, be respectful of the local culture. Mm -hmm. Good move. Good. Yeah, that's that's right, Michelle. Yeah, and the, the other thing is that the the um, the more disrespect you show to local customs, the harder it is for other travellers. Yeah. Uh, and I know Indonesia in particular now is thinking of banning people uh, climbing mountains. Mountains are very um, they're sacred sites for uh, a lot of Indonesian people, and uh, a lot of tourists. Uh, I won't single out a particular brand here but you know, uh, they um, have been very disrespectful uh, one woman absolutely stripping off naked and, and walking up a mountain which is just not on so the local government now are looking at banning tourists going to these wonderful sites so you're just ruining it for everybody else yeah absolutely and you see so many instances of that happening and you just think oh for goodness sake people grow up and get with it yeah, yeah. Mm, yes 
There's one top tip that I'd like to just make. Um, if you are traveling overseas and you're on a longer trip, in fact, no, when you're at home too, um, make yourself up a, a little card that's about the size of a credit card and just um, type some basic information on there. Um, the international contact number for your insurance provider, your insurance policy number, uh, contact details for your medic at home, you know, those sorts of things, your blood group and any allergies that you've got, and just have that somewhere that people can find it really easy if something, sorry, that was bad, easily, um, if, um, if something does happen to you, um, because that can just save all sorts of grief. So it's just worth it, you know, just on a little credit card um, size thing, pop it in your, um, your, your wallet. I carry um, three of them on me. Uh, one of them's inside my crash helmet. One of them is, you know, inside the lining. Uh, one's in my wallet and one's in my bike jacket pocket. Yeah. Very yeah. smart. You can get ones that stick actually stick onto the outside of your helmet with a little cover on them with a medic, mm -hmm. medical sign on it. And that's not a bad idea either. I haven't seen those. Oh, that's interesting. Is that like an envelope you're talking about? Well, it, it's a little plastic square, like an inch and a half square or something like that. And it just sticks onto the outside of your helmet. And you peel it off? Yeah, it's, it's got a removable cover. You flip it back and there's your medical information. Oh, I see. Right. So just you pop it open and it's yeah. got the, yeah, okay. That's a good it's idea. It's got a red cross on it. I like that. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think we've covered quite a bit in there. So now we're going to be talking about traveling, going nowhere, traveling close to home, traveling, going nowhere. In other words, travel close to home. But anyways, Sam, how are you doing? How are you hanging in there? Um, I'm doing okay, but um, the shivers have started again, so... Um, I'm really sorry to do this to everybody, but I think I need to to duck out at this stage. Now, you know, you've been such a trooper. I'm amazed that you that you managed to pull it together to show up for this. Thank you very much, Sam. And I, I feel terrible that you're not feeling well. And I hope you just get over it super quick. Maybe you'll wake up in the morning and it'll just be gone. I really that hope would that's be, the case. That would be a wonderful thing. But there was no way I was going to miss um, being involved with you guys on Raw. Um, it's one of the, the highlights of my month. Mm -hmm. Ours too, Sam, and feel better soon. Take care, Good Sam. to have you, Sam. Take care. Cheers, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Okay, well, there goes Sam. Okay, so um, traveling, going nowhere, and what we're talking about is travel close to home. Now, there's a lot of reasons, of course, to travel close to home. It could be lack of time, money, commitments, whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. Uh, or maybe you just don't want to travel abroad for whatever reason or or ship a motorcycle even for a big trip. So what we thought we'd, we'd have a, a sort of a conversation about was if you didn't want to do that, you didn't have the money or the inclination of the time or whatever it's, it, it is, does it make sense to travel within your own country or within or in your own comfort zone, maybe country or, or province or state or whatever it is and stay close to home? And And if you are going to do that, is there a way that you can gain through that experience any part of what you would get on a big trip? And I, and I think maybe that's where we should start with this is, is really talking about, I thought maybe we could just sort of touch on maybe what you get from a big trip and what you might hope to achieve with a small trip. And, and, and I'm, I'm looking for that, you know, that, that feeling or whatever it is that, that you really get after you've been on the road, you know, the two, three weeks, you know, you start to get into your rhythm and maybe a way that we can sort of apply that to a shorter trip, or or maybe we can't. I mean, that's sort of what I'd like to start with discussing. What do you think of that, Brian? Look, I, I think you can learn a lot from just travelling in your own country for a bigger trip. Um, I'll sign an example for our 
our uh, second overseas trip, I bought the 1200GS Adventure and I wanted to make sure everything worked well and I wanted to make sure that I knew how to look after the bike on a long journey. So I decided to ride around Australia, which is 22,000 kilometres. Maybe it's a little right. bit excessive for a, yeah. for a, um, for a test down. ride, but, you know, <laughs> um, that's what I did. Um, so I knew how the, uh, the the vagaries of the bike, how to service it, how often to service it, um, you know, where its best fuel economy was, all those sorts of things that um, were pretty important. I think you can learn a lot by doing that. And the other thing you can learn a lot from is how to pack the bike, uh, weight distribution, um, stuff like that is pretty important in my opinion. Um, and, you know, I, I think you need to get into the rhythm of the road for a, a trip, a big trip. And uh, you can test that out in your own country by um, slowing down, do a tour, look for the local sites, do things that you uh, you might just flash past when you're riding from point A to point B. Um, there's lots and lots of little places that you, you, you probably need to explore in your own backyard. And that, that works well, I think, um, for getting your mindset right for when you do start travelling. My travelling companion, Cheryl, is great at that. She will research and research and research and work out where she wants to go and what she wants to do. And um, that's a good way to do it, don't you think, Cheryl? Yeah. Uh, and in your in your own country, I mean, clearly you either move to Australia, Canada or the US and then you have plenty of space to ride and still be in your own country. But <laughs> if that's not an option, um, within your own country, normally if Brian and I were going to say Sydney, which is, you know, a day's a long day's ride, but a day's ride. We might um, take a week off and do a week and stop at little country towns along the way that have got, you know, history, decent food, decent wineries, just different things that you would normally pass by when you're on a on a um, a fast trip. You don't you don't need to do a long trip to experience good things. And I fear that sometimes there's a bit of snobbery about well, you know, you only went for a two-week trip. Yeah, two weeks is better than no no trip at all and you can have so much fun, you can learn so many things and go outside your even your town and you'll meet new people, interesting people, see things you haven't seen before. It's it's all good. And I, I find that if I, if I pack for um, a week, that's really enough to pack for a year on the bike. You don't need to take a lot of stuff. So... And um, over time, I found that every time I go on a trip, I seem to pack the same amount of gear, no matter how far or how long I'm going. That's good. You've you've got it sorted, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty well, pretty well, like yeah. that. And um, you know, there's always little tweaks and and things, and like um, where you carry those um, uh, uh, battery pack things. I, I, I packed one, you know, like those. Um, starters just in case your battery goes flat um, because uh, I was in the middle of nowhere and it was a really cold night and I went out to start the bike, bang, battery was flat and I had to go and source a new battery and I did that in Australia and I thought, well, I'd better take a, um, a, a starter and, okay, I ordered one and I packed it deep inside a, uh, the top box, I think, with a lot of stuff on it and... Um, as we're travelling, I pulled it out and it started to expand because it had too much weight on it 
uh, those uh, those batteries do explode and the the uh, thing that you do is you take them out and you put them in a bucket of water because they will burst into flames. So I learnt that if you're going to take one of those little battery um, starters, don't pack it deep in a pannier and put a lot of weight on it. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a real good tip. And to your point and Shirley's point, like your point, Brian, about slowing down, Shirley's point about, oh. about missing things that, um, it, it, if you think about it, you know, our, where we live, there are all places that people will ride from other countries to come and visit. So I think the key would be, yeah, to, to slow down and sort of take a breath and take the time. I think Shirley, you sort of said that, take the time to really enjoy what you've got. Uh, locally, but but surely you also mentioned about going and seeing things like uh, I think you mentioned. Did you mention historical things? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a really good point. If you search out those things, you can find things because we've found this as well. Like if you take the time to stop at something, I mean, it can be as simple as a plaque, and you read it, you think, well, that's really cool. I had no idea, you know, and that can really give you that feeling. I mean, that you would get on a longer trip. The town we live in now, Jim, is uh, is filled of history from the gold rush. And um, when we have visitors, we take them around to the, the ruins of the old miners' towns and the, the mines, etc. And we're an hour and a half from Melbourne and our friends who come up from the city have never Makes even sense. thought about exploring Castlemaine, yet they could come right. up for a weekend and expend a whole lot of time getting to know places. And we've done that in you know, New South Wales. There's heaps of places in Queensland I haven't been to that I want to go to that people, as you say, they come from overseas and they head straight to the um, to the dinosaur area up in Queensland and I live, you know, a two days drive away and or three days drive away and have never been there. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. Michelle? I think those are excellent points and I think a lot of us do that, Cheryl. I think, you know, so many of us take the things in our own backyard for granted thinking, oh, those yeah. are easy to get to and we'll save them for someday. Um, but while I have accrued vacation or money or a desire to go longer term, we go farther afield than than those things. So, I mean, those are all opportunities for seeing things in your own backyard that that really are some hidden gems sometimes. And I, I guess I think, you know, I always try to say, do the best with what you can or with, excuse me, do the best you can with what you have and what you know at any given moment. So if you only have a weekend or a week or two weeks um, and you, you know, want to stay in your own country or maybe just go over the border into a neighboring country, I think there are always opportunities to, you know, do something different and get outside of your comfort zone. I think one of the life-changing things for me about long-distance travel, but I think you can achieve it with short-term travel, is gaining a better sense of, of curiosity. So seeing the world through different eyes and trying new things and leaving the familiar a bit behind, or even going to familiar places and just trying to see them a bit differently. Um, and I think there's plenty of opportunity for that. Certainly, as Shirley and Brian pointed out, in the US and Canada and Australia, we have a lot uh, greater land area to cover. So there's, you know, all sorts of national parks that you can visit, but also, you know, state parks. A lot of times people focus more on famous or more popular tourist destinations, but finding some of those things that are a little more um, 
not so much top of mind. They're ones that the locals know about. So asking about those places and kind of exploring and, and immersing yourself in, in a local village or a small town and learning about the history and trying new foods and those things, you can do those in any corner of your own country. Um, I, I just really feel, I think, and I know I'm spoiled for for choice here in the U.S., but there are any number of, you know, excellent roads that are in in any of the 50 states. I can find some road that I have yet to explore or I want to go back and ride it again because it's a different time of year or things have changed. So I, I really do feel like there is an incredible opportunity to go nowhere and really experience a lot. Mm. Yeah, well said. And there is, there's really, there's something about having a point to, to your trip, isn't there? I, I mean, because it makes you, it forces you to slow down. Like whether you're focusing on history or whether you want to look at the gold rush era or dams or whatever it is you're interested in, there's something about having a point that leads you to places and little adventures that you otherwise wouldn't have because it's so easy to think, you know, between destinations and figure, well, I'll ride to this place because I know the riding is nice there. But many times there's so much in between. And I think if yeah. we really dig in those spots, that would really, you know, open things up for us. I think that's very true. It's an excellent point. Grant? Yeah. Um, I think everybody's made lots of really good points. Um, the gold rush seems to be a, a popular thing here because Susan and I are doing a little trip after the Can West event this year. And we're going to do the Columbia Icefields Parkway, which everybody knows all about. And we're going to go up to Barkerville, which is Canada's or British Columbia's big gold rush town. It's been almost completely restored. It's a, it's a big tourist attraction. You actually have to book to get into it on the day you want. But it's really spectacular. It's really well done. I've seen it very, very briefly many, many years ago. And um, we're just going to go and stop and go through and do the whole tourist thing and see what it's all about just become part of, make it part of our little vacation. We don't have a lot of time. We've got, we've got to cram a lot in, but we're not doing much mileage. Our mileage is actually going to be very low. I think Susan worked out something like 200 and something kilometers a day. It's not very far. It's not very fast. But I think that's where a lot of people tend to go wrong. We have, especially in North America, you have two weeks or maybe at best three weeks vacation so the big thing is to put how many miles or kilometers can I put on in that time? And you mm -hmm. spend all your time riding and no time stopping, looking at the plaques, checking out the local things, see what's going on, talking to people and getting into what I would call a round the world pace rather than a two week vacation pace where you're trying to cram every mile in. Take your time, um, let yourself be with the trip and get into the right headspace as if it was going to be a long trip so that when you get home, you can think about how it all went, what was good and what needs changing. And I'm not talking just about your gear, although that's very important, but more about your headspace. Some people find the idea of a big trip is really cool, but realistically, they don't really want to be on a big trip because they'll miss family or midnight foot, Monday night football or Starbucks coffee or whatever. Um, you may find that you're actually just a short trip person and that's absolutely fine. We're all different. We all have different needs and wants and likes and learning who you are makes you powerful. It means you can make realistic plans that work for you and toss the misguided dream out the window perhaps, or maybe, yeah, I'm going to do this, but you can also make fun plans for shorter trips that make you really happy. 
So I think many adventures work for most people. Wow, that's all great points. That was just fantastic. Does does anyone want to add any more to that, or should we leave it where it sits? Uh, I reckon we've covered it as it is. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, that was really good. Really good points, and that that was uh, actually more than what I was hoping for. That was that was really good. Okay, Okay, well, that you had a question. Stories of doing it. I've got a little comment about what I'm currently doing right now, not just this trip with Susan, but... Uh, Let me set that up, Grant. Let yeah. me set that up. Okay. So so has anybody done this? Has anybody actually set out on... I mean, we must have all done it, you know, at one point, but I mean, does anyone think of a, like a, a memorable time that really applies itself to what we've talked about of doing a short trip like that? Well, right now, I currently do short dirt bike adventures. Susan's not interested in dirt biking, so I ride solo or with a friend of mine. And there's... There's 620,000 kilometers of official resource roads in British Columbia alone. Think about that. 620,000 kilometers in BC. It's it's. (laughs) There's only about 80,000 that's paved in BC. The rest of it is dirt. So um, I can go out and ride some places I've never been because with 620,000 kilometers, you can bet I haven't been there. it works just great. So this friend of mine, for instance, does 10 or so five to seven day trips a year. He's retired. Uh, he goes out, explores new places, does some places that he likes, and that works for him. He likes his own bed after a few days camping. He has zero interest in going around the world or even another country. So he's very happy with what he does. And I think that's what really matters for everybody. Find what works for you. And Get out there and just do that. Good. Yeah, no, that's yeah, great. Yeah, Anybody yeah, else? Yeah. Um, no, I, I think we covered it all. But, you know, I agree. I've, I've, yep. I've done it. You no, know, you go along and you, you do a ride to somewhere and you, you think, oh, God, I haven't explored that. And, you know, it makes you slow down. And um, sure, I set out on that, that trip around Australia with the express purpose of testing everything out and, and working how everything would work on a, on a longer trip. But uh, just um, a weekend ride with your mates, you're doing the same thing. We did it up to um, a pub in the middle of nowhere and um, ended up exploring cotton, cotton uh, growing areas and, and um, uh, factories, old factories and stuff like that. Fantastic. You know, you just said that twice now, slowing down. And I think that's that's almost the essence of what we're talking about here, isn't it? Is is really forcing yourself to slow down because by doing that, you almost do get that sort of big trip feel. Does that make sense? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Super, super makes sense. The biggest problem we find that people do is they're traveling too far, too fast and too short a time. And then they get burned out and say, this isn't fun anymore. Because they're trying to do too much. You, you just can't. Take, yeah. take your time. Slow down. Yeah, I think I've mentioned before that I took a, I rode a section of the Continental Divide Trail in the U.S. with a couple of uh, women friends, one from Newfoundland and another woman from Maine. And this was probably six or seven years ago. Um, and I met them in Montana and then rode through parts of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, and into Colorado before I had to get back home. And I only had a week plus the weekends on either end of vacation from work. And it was amazing to me. It was really inspiring to get 
off the beaten path and learn and find out about new little hidden corners of my own country. And while I had traveled through on two lane highways to actually go off road um, and ride the Continental Divide Trail and we, we wild camped. We were out in national grasslands and national forest. It really was, it was a whole different experience. It really felt remote. And I was surprised how even in my own country in states that are right next door to mine, how it could really feel like a wild experience. And you've, I felt removed from my normal life and I definitely slowed down the pace and just enjoyed the riding and living in the moment. So I think hopefully there are opportunities for everyone, partly geographically, but really just through changing your thought process or your lens or the way that you're seeing things to get out and enjoy your own part of the world. Yeah, right. exactly. No, that's fantastic. Well, okay. I'll, I will leave it at that because I can't add anything to that. Let's, um, we'll, we'll wrap it up at this point. We'll, we'll go into plugs to start plugs off. Oh, I'm going to get Sam's plug first. Yes. Sam is already gone. But what I did was because Sam wasn't feeling well, I got his plug in advance. That way we get him fresh and get all the full information from him. So here is Sam's plug recorded before we started the show. So Sam, what have you got for plugs? Well, um, I've just been at um, BMW MOA National, which was incredible fun. I mentioned that earlier on. Um, And um, I'm on the way up to BMW Motorcycles of Detroit, which by the time this has come out, of course, will have already happened. But I'm really looking forward to being there. They're such a good bunch of people. After that, on Thursday, June 22nd, I'll be presenting at Windy City Motorcycles in Chicago, and that's in conjunction with the Chicago BMW Owners Association, and that kicks off at 6 o'clock. From there, I'm up to Monticello in Minnesota, and I'm going to be at Moon Motorsports on Saturday, June 24th. Um, Then I'm traveling for a while, and that's going to include linking up with Michelle, which I'm really looking forward to because we've not seen each other for ages um Yay. yeah exactly that's how i'm feeling i promise not to be sick by the time i get to you um, <laughs> and then i've got a, a gentle ride across to wilmington ohio where i'm going to be at clinton county motorsports and that's on july 20th and then from there i'm going to go to the ama vintage motorcycle days in ohio which I'm really looking forward to. I'm not doing anything there presentation-wise or anything else. I'm just going to wander around and look at wonderful old motorcycles and uh, probably link up with a couple of friends as well. Um, a friend called Brent, he's going to be um, taking me along to that. And um, I'm also going to um, be seeing um, the editor of uh, Road Dog Publications, so that's going to be good fun. And then I am going to Port Matilda, um, Pennsylvania, and that's at the Kissel's Most Sports Soggy Bottom Moto Fest. Um, that is um, a sold-out thing. Uh, not down to me, of course. I'm just I'm just one of the, the things that is happening. And then I'm going to be at Fredericksburg in Virginia, where I'm going to be at um, Morton's BMW um, on August the 5th. Now, I have just been laughing because I'm staying with Mark and Louisa Carrera, and they've been standing outside the window um, holding up cardboard placards saying that if I don't give them a high and a mention, then they're going to hold Lucky hostage and I'm not going to be allowed to leave tomorrow. <laughs> so um, many thanks to Mark and Lou. Um, they're just such amazing hosts and they look after Lucky when I'm not in the States. So um, it's really nice that um, I'm able to come back here and um, everything's set up and ready to go. Um, they are wonderful hosts. So yeah, Lucky so. is not your chihuahua. No, Lucky is my F800 um, right. GS. 
Um, she doesn't know whether she's lucky or not having me as her owner, but I know I'm lucky to have her. Mm. Has it stayed upright so far for you? Thank you, Jim. And um, we're not going to tempt any fate here at all, are we? And I have had several wisecracks already thrown in my direction about that. I'm, be- I'm on my best behavior. Um, I'm sure yeah. you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. And of course, all this is on your website, sam-manicom.com. Yes, it is. Thank you. Shirley, what do you have? Oh, look, I'd hate to disappoint. I don't have anything. <laughs> okay, Brian, what have you got? I've got a couple of things. Um, most people would be aware that this year is the centenary of the BMW motorcycle. Uh, so there's celebrations all over the world that I'm, uh, I think are going on. I don't know what's happening in your part of the world, but here in Australia, uh, particularly in uh, Victoria, we've got um, uh, on the 27th of August um, at the Calder Park Thunderdome, which is an old raceway, there's going to be a display of uh, motorcycles and cars um, celebrating um, BMW motorcycles, which a lot of us use on our round-the-world trips. But also there's the um, uh, the 50th anniversary, I think it is, of the um, R90S, um, which is um, something else. So I'll be taking my beautiful R90S, which I'm just about tweaked up to perf- perfection, I would say, um, to um, take along to that event. I've got to do a shout-out to the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. I don't know whether um, everyone's aware of that, but, you know, we ran one here in uh, our little town of Castlemaine after a few beers in my shed and it was decided that we would do it. We set ourselves a target of um, flogging Paris in the fundraising stakes and um, we had 80 riders come along to our Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. We raised... $19,103, which is... Nice. Yeah. Wow. Paris, Paris had 346 riders, but they raised $14,267, so we flogged them. We absolutely (laughs) flogged them. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Fantastic, Brian. Wow. It's a great event. And, look, they raised money for men's health um, and uh, particularly suicide prevention and stuff like that. There was 106,785 riders, 893 rides around the world in 107 countries, and overall this year they raised 7.4 million US dollars, which is unbelievable. So thank a big shout out to everyone who participated, and particularly the organisers who did that. So uh, there you go. There's my plugs. Okay. Wow. Very good. That's impressive, Brian. Well, well done. Yeah, thank you. Michelle, uh, what do you have for plugs? And, and and by the way, I was just going to mention because Brian's talking about the BMW, the Centennial, everything. Isn't the KLR like got to be close to 50 by now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it must be for sure. It's a <laughs> <laughs> A friend Gen of mine just bought his 14th. Oh, good for him. 14, if you can believe, 14 KLRs. Well, he didn't wear them out, did he? No, no, no. He just just keeps trading. (laughs) He keeps selling them and then finds, buy something else because he's been attracted by some bright, shiny object. Uh, (laughs) And then he gets tired of it and he goes back and buys another KLR. uh, 14 KLRs. I just, oh. That's amazing. That's a fan. He's had the the, uh, egg crate on the back a few times too. (laughs) <laughs> mm, I love that. <laughs> Perfect. That's I gave a him a green plate. one. 
Can you believe a green <laughs> egg crate on the back of a KLR? <laughs> my KLR was was green and I used to have a, a green like a like fluorescent green jacket <laughs> and oh, I always nice. wanted to say you know have some little saying on the back is saying you know it's green or something like that you know one of those obvious sayings because of the green KLR being a a, a pun on the uh, environmental aspect of riding a motorcycle <laughs> yeah, it's like Kermit the Frog isn't it yeah. uh, it's okay being it's a, green I, I've heard it all Brian I've heard it. <laughs> yeah 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 I'm still yeah. <laughs> the, the original high viz <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I am actually just wanting to put an open invitation out there for the Women's International Motorcycle Association USA Rally, which is taking place in uh, Maggie Valley, North Carolina this year, September 14th through the 16th. So, of course, we invite all of our members. They hear about that. But any women motorcyclists who are interested in finding out about the Women's International Motorcycle Association or specifically our USA division, um, you can go to wima-usa.com and register or get information. Drop me an email. Uh, we have so far doubled our attendance already from last year's rally and we have some women coming internationally. We have a woman coming from the UK and another from actually two from Belgium. So um, it isn't a closed event. You don't have to be a member. We we invite all women writers that are going to be in the area or interested in joining us uh, to come along and, and be part of the fun. So that sounds great. You doubled it. Holy. What, 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 what's there for guys? Uh, well, actually, men who are interested in attending with their partner, um, by all means, we, we include all of the family members for most of our events. We have one women's only event on Saturday night, but on Thursday night, Friday night, we actually include family members. And that includes there are a couple of people that plan on being bringing children. And that's, oh, nice. that's fine. I mean, we want everybody to feel welcome. And um, of course, anybody who's interested in riding along on the rides, spouses, partners, family members, they're all invited to uh, tag along. So you bet. September 14th to 16th. Uh, where is it again? It's in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. So we're going to go ride some of the incredible roads in uh, that part of the country in North Carolina in the mountains. Very nice. Wima-USA.com. Yes. Thank you. All right. That's fantastic. Grant, what have you got? Well, we've got a whole lot of travelers meetings coming up. We've already had a couple and they've been really good. People have been excited to get back to, a, to motorcycle events and see their friends and see the events and see the presentations and get inspired to get out there, get going again after all the past year's problems. But uh, yeah, we've got lots going on. So Can West is coming up. That's British Columbia right here in my home home area. That's July 13 to 16. And the next one after that is second year for Newfoundland and the far other side of the country. So if you're interested in seeing the Maritimes, British, what am I saying? <laughs> the, the Eastern Maritime part of Canada, Newfoundland has some wonderful scenery, some lots of history. The first Viking landing in the New World is in Newfoundland. You can see that. And then we have Switzerland back to Europe and August 17 to 20, Romania, I think this is their third or fourth year. They're doing really well. August 25 mm. to 27. Ecuador is back on September 8 to 9. And France, they're 
they're looking like they might sell out. So if you want to go to France, you better get registered soon. They're doing, they're, they're going gangbusters. In fact, we had a couple of the French team, Team Limon, they call themselves because they wear lime green t-shirts. They were just here heading for Alaska on a Ural sidecar. So they're having a good time here. Uh, and I'm sure they'll tell a story about that. So that's September 15 to 17. And the following week here, you can do two in a row. France, September 15 to 17, and then first year, Austria, September 21 to 24. Beautiful little location out in the mountains, lots of valleys, really, really pretty spot. So that's going to be happening September 21 to 24. And then Germany, I don't know, those Germans are tough. November 2 to 5, it's going to be a little bit chilly, but they always have a good turnout. They always have a good time to make it a really good event. And South Africa, we haven't got the exact date on that. I think they're the second weekend in November. So that's our roster for what's left for this year. It's lots of fun, lots of events, lots of things going on, lots of opportunity to meet other travelers, people that are that have been out there and done lots of trips. So you get a chance to talk to people who've done stuff, been out there, been on the road, lived to tell the tale, maybe learned a few things and they'll help pass it on to you. So... It's a good opportunity to figure out, does this sound like something I really want to do? You know, we find that people get really inspired. And then the next question is, okay, how do I do this now? How do I do this? <laughs> so it gets people going. Now, when you said problems with past years, past year's problems you joked about, that's not your problems. That was COVID no, problems, that's you, were, COVID you, problems. you were referring yeah. to. I just want to clear problems. that up. Yes. yes. Right. But it's horizonsunlimited.com forward slash events is the website. You got it. Wow. See you there. I'm looking forward to Can West. It's been too long. Mm. When's Can West coming up soon? Is it July 13th? July 13th. Wow. Yep. Sign up soon. We're closing okay. t-shirts next week. So if you, you want to teach, we're closing t-shirt sales for Can West next week. So hurry up. Well, wait a second. You mean you say you can order a t-shirt from Can West even if you aren't going? Um, you could. It hadn't occurred to me, but yes, you could. Drop me an email <laughs> and I'll send you a t-shirt. It's kind of cheating, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, it's like. It's all right. You want it. You're a wannabe. You want to go. It's like wearing a KLR shirt, but you don't really ride a KLR. You ride (laughs) like maybe a BMW or something like that. You want the KLR, but you know, you're stuck. That's okay. You're a fan. That's all right. 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 (laughs) Well, that wraps it up. Thank you very much, everyone. And of course, we all hope Sam is feeling great in no time at all. That was just so, so incredible that he came on. uh, Yeah. He was really ragged. Yeah. 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 Thank you very much, everyone. Shirley, Brian, Grant, Michelle, thank you. Thanks, guys, as always. Yeah, everyone, ride safe out there. Yep, get out and have a good time. Go. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get ebooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for 
for traveling overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Thank you.